Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about the 1996 meta-horror blockbuster Scream. First, my co-host and comic book writer, Ben Kahn. Ben, do you want to play a game? Yes, because like Drew Barrymore, I'm bad at them. (laughs) Next up, my frequent collaborator and comics artist and certified vampire aficionado, Emily Martin. Emily, what's your favorite scary movie? Um, The Lost Boys. <laughs> is that your final answer? No, but um, it is uh, scarily accurate. And uh, for, for scarily the- accurate, and at what? <laughs> what part of in Santa I- Cruz? <laughs> it, it is in Santa Cruz. There's no. Yeah. It's scarily accurate to what it feels like to be in Santa Cruz. Yes. That checks out. And our special guest tonight, one half of the Gotham Outsiders podcast and noted Scream enthusiast, TJ Finnessy. Hello, TJ. Hello, how are you? I am Before not going to do this voice the whole night. I promise. <laughs> oh, it's I a will, great though. voice, Jeremy. It it's does sound good. like it's going to destroy your throat. <laughs> I have lots of coffee. So before we get into our usual section, because Scream is such an iconic movie, I thought it might be helpful to start out by saying, like, what are each of our experiences with Scream, this movie, and the franchise, like, going into it, going into tonight? Can I go first? Yeah, yes, absolutely. please do. Okay, so I was born the year this movie came out, and Ugh. I know, I saw I it for the first time. I have just turned to bones and dust. <laughs> I'm a youngin. I saw it for the first time maybe three, maybe four years ago give or take a quarantine year, but I had no idea what I was getting myself into because I had seen the first scary movie at one point as a child. And of course, that's kind of like making fun of this movie. So to me, they were one and the same. And I forget, <clears throat> and I forget how I got got it in mind to watch Scream, but I went out of my way and did it. And I, I, I had no idea what to expect, but I fell in love with it. And just Sydney Prescott, is like the final girl for me. I love her so much. It's so rare to find a franchise, a horror franchise that follows just a group of characters in every film. So the fact that she, spoiler alert, comes back for every single one is so great. Cause like Ghostface is iconic, but Sydney Prescott is like just as iconic. Yeah, if not more. Like it's a level of it's a level of final girl and like the protagonist associated with a franchise. Right. In a way I really can't think of any other examples of except for the one they love citing in this movie, Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. Yeah, Jamie Lee and I guess Sigourney Weaver with Alien kind of. Oh, but, I, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, geez. I just didn't even think about that just because that's so like her still like. Yeah, I don't know yeah, if she's in like yeah. the spinoff ones, but but yeah, I just love it. And I've all the I binged the sequels and here I am. I'm so excited to talk about it. Yeah, even Jamie Lee like fades out for a few of the the Michael Myers movies in the middle. Um for for me, this was middle school for me. Um this is the first uh this is the first horror movie that I remember seeing new. Like 
Um, you know, I had not been allowed to watch too much in the way of like real R-rated scary movies. Um, and this one was one that like was mine that I rented when my brother was like having a sleepover with friends his age who were, you know, younger and they were doing their own thing. So like he had the kids movie and I got the like serious adult movie. Um, that's the still, you know, until this week, that was the only time I'd ever seen Scream. Um, and I, I think I missed out on a lot of the stuff that's in this movie because I had no, like, uh, no reference. Because so much of this movie is about scary movies um, that, like, not having seen a bunch of horror movies, I, like, I was new to everything that they're saying. Every, like, every line that uh, Jamie Kennedy has in this movie sounds extremely insightful to me. <laughs> what a fucking power move of a career this movie is for Wes Craven like yes, yes I forged my career defining the slasher genre and now I'm going to rebirth my career by deconstructing the genre I created what a legend literally like I was <laughs> looking this up and Wes Craven had decided he wasn't going to do any more scary movies and apparently like they'd been chasing him for this movie he had said he wasn't going to do it and apparently like a 10-year-old fan told him that he had gone soft. And so, like, the next day he was like, fuck it, I'm doing that scary movie. That 10, can we find that 10-year-old and give them an award? They are a hero. <laughs> My experience with this movie, I think, is going to be a little unique. Ever seeing Scream. But I, but. Incredible. What I did see was Scary Movie. Yes. The parody of Scream that also throws in I Know What You Did Last Summer and a whole bunch of other movies, which one of my, one of the things that I absolutely loved about this movie was more than any other horror movie I can think of, this was a whodunit. This was a mystery. There were clues. There, there's a bunch of red herrings. Like I was so into the, the mystery of it. And the thing with Scary Movie is it absolutely spoils the movie, but it also throws in a whole bunch of things that are spoilers for different movies or just makes other shit up and just throws like stuff along. So I had spoilers, but I also had spoilers that were completely inaccurate. So I like, <laughs> so I went in knowing what maybe could happen, but like having received like the most unreliable narrator version. Like I went into like, in Scary Movie, uh, I guess like spoilers for Scary Movie, uh, it turns out that like the Dewey analog is the true mastermind behind everything because they wanted to do a Usual Suspects reference. This is really, really interesting to me because what you're going through now is some sort of like is your own deconstruction of the genre from the parody perspective. And it's now, wild. Yeah, and now you're trying to solve the mystery with the cultural context clues. You I have. was so through the looking glass. Yeah. What's like, super interesting to me about the relationship between this movie and Scary Movie is that one, this is sort of a parody of horror movies in its own way. It's, it is as much comedy as it is horror, which is, I think, unique because most, most movies that are comedy and horror fall pretty hard to one side or the other. And uh, Scream manages to maintain that balance throughout. Not to mention Kevin Williamson, who wrote the screenplay for this, his original working title for this was Scary Movie. 
<laughs> and so like it wasn't until after this movie had already been filmed and sold that they changed the name to Scream. I so I love Scream. I'm gonna have pretty much nothing but glowing things to say about it for the next two hours. Uh, I will throw a little shade. Another thing that made me not know what's original, the scary movie, what Scream. Uh, scary movie has black people in it, and Scream doesn't. So I didn't quite know who like the analogs always were. Yeah, Scream couldn't be whiter if it tried. Scream, every actor in Scream, there was one person of color who was, uh, I believe, a news anchor, but they were on the screen for like 10 seconds. But the everybody, all of the actors are in like super white cake face makeup. Like they are whiter than they normally are <laughs> in this whole film, which is just like kind of bananas to me. But um, I have a pretty weird relationship with this movie because... Um, I actually heard about it from the filming uh, on-site signs that I saw on the side of the road in Marin County. Um, I'll be talking about this because um, my partner, Brett, he grew up in Santa Rosa. I've lived in in the Santa Rosa, Sonoma, Marin kind of area for about 20 years now. And I've, I spent a lot of time here in my childhood. Um and all of this movie is in is filmed in Santa Rosa Marin County. I mean, like ninety nine percent, as far as I know, um, all the all the on site filming uh, was done here in Sonoma County and a little bit in Marin. But I had no idea what it was until a year later when it was on TV and it was and I didn't really connect the dots so much because I'd forgotten seeing these signs on the side of the road. You know, it's like spray painted signs um, and. Uh, I had not seen it in the theater, but I saw it on cable, like on repeat. And I saw alternate versions. There's a couple alternate cuts out there that have more gore and less other stuff, which is weird. Really? Um, I did not know there were multiple cuts. Of I hope I saw yeah. the right cut then. I think you did. I mean, the only cuts that I saw, all of the, the versions that I saw streaming were the same length. Um, it's the wild what movies were like constantly on loop on pay-per-view in the 90s the scream movie and it was right around the craft and and like a lot of those 90s movies with matthew lillard and them happening so it was sort of part of my 90s lifeblood at that point so i saw it it was basically like moving wallpaper for for a good year of my life because it was always on cable and i'd be like oh scream and i just watch it also i'm updating my favorite scary movie it's alien oh great choice i feel like (laughs) There was a five-year period where anytime I had a sick day from school, I knew I was going over to pay-per-view and it was time for an Armageddon, I know what you did last summer, like (laughs) double feature. So talking about different like cuts of the movie, Drew Barrymore just recently did a watch along uh, where you could tune in on CBS and watch. And it, I, I tried to That's do- so interesting. I, know, I was so excited and it was an edited cut for TV. So <sighs> as soon as I got to the part where Drew Barrymore doesn't scream and he'll kick the shit out of you. I was, <laughs> no, I was like, what? I can't watch this. Like, Okay, if we're diving into that opening scene. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Uh, yeah, I do want to say the part of the reason that a whole bunch of cuts exist is that the MPAA was insisting on giving this movie an NC-17 for the longest time. Um, and Wes Craven apparently kept cutting it and cutting it and cutting it. And finally, he had to get uh, Bob Weinstein involved to go talk to the MPAA to manage to get them an R rating. And apparently all he had to do was tell them that it's actually a comedy. Um, and the MPAA was like, oh, well, that's fine then. It's an R rating. Um, that's so, uh, like, would you say there's anything... I mean, it's a gory, violent movie, but is there anything crazier here than like Nightmare on Elm Street? 
I mean, by today's standards, it's, I mean, it's nothing. I, yeah. I think, you know, we're, I, I don't know if it's that we're dealing so closely with like teenagers and, you know, uh, a time when like, you know, uh, teenagers killing teenagers was like a very sensitive topic. <laughs> well, there was, um, there's not any sort of nudity in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the closest we get to nudity is, um, Rose McGowan's fabricated nipples showing through her, um, they're not, I'm Iconic. pretty sure they're not, yeah, but they're not her actual, I'm pretty sure they're not her actual nipples because she's wearing too much clothes for that, but Ooh, like. I hope they're her real nipples. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I, I imagine it's like putting a, a false horn on a real unicorn. I truly don't know what to make of that <laughs> particular element in that scene. Was Harvey Weinstein there that day? <laughs> Ugh. Um, um yeah, yeah that scene also was featured in the ads with her like uh, nipples of course it was yeah which is really funny and i'll i'll get I to mean, that as spoilers, well spoilers but the fact that they it's like you can cut from like oh here she is in the house without the erect nipples now she has taken two steps with super erect nipples <laughs> because we need to be as horned up for the depth scene as possible it's so funny because it's so <sighs> absurd i love it it's the closest thing we get to nudity. And the the cut version that I saw had more guts. And that was the only difference. Yeah. Well, like, let's, let's jump into... guts falling out more. Let's hit our basics here before we uh, before we jump into the spoilers. Because I can feel us all itching to get there. Uh, like we said, oh, it's yes. directed by Wes Craven. Uh, it, you know, Wes Craven, you probably know from everything. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Last <laughs> House on the Left, The Hills Have Eyes, Swamp Thing. That, that horrible Swamp Thing movie. Not the TV show. Uh, the people under the look, stairs. Crisis, look, it's Brooklyn. canon. Crisis on Infinite Earths happened. All the live action adaptations exist in one multiverse. It sure. counts. Uh, you know, Curse. <laughs> crossover with Supergirl any day now. You might also know him from his light janitorial work. Um, we'll get to that later. <laughs> uh, it's written, yeah, as I said, by Kevin Williamson, who, like, I do want to talk a little bit about Kevin Williamson because uh, he is from he is from North Carolina. Um, and he oh. wrote this. Like he he's the creator here. He's also wrote I Know What You Did Last Summer, the second screen movie, The Faculty, Dawson's Creek. He created the following, the Kevin Bacon show that was just on TV. He adapted the Vampire Diaries to TV. He wrote and directed Teaching Mrs. Single. And it's extraordinary to me that I didn't know that there was one out gay man who is responsible for such a huge chunk of 90s teen culture. And like that is extraordinary to me. Uh, also, that he's married to George Hatsiopoulos, who is uh, from the Fashion Police. If you, if anybody's ever I watched that, I swear to God, I thought you were going to say but... George Costanza. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. whoa! I didn't know George Alexander was gay. Good for him. <laughs> I mean, icon. But um... yeah, I love Kevin Williamson. The, these last few years, like, I just went out of my way to watch. I know what you did last summer. You know, I love Sarah Michelle Gellar. So those two things combined, and the fact that he's involved in the Her movie. and Freddie Prince Jr. Oh. are so good in that movie. Yes. And I love that that's where like, they met, and they've been fucking married forever since. Did the faculty, was that also directed by Wes Craven, or are they just, those two, Scream and so. the faculty, are just so similar in my mind? I mean... <laughs> the faculty is not what you would expect from the phrase John Stewart horror movie. Right. Yeah. Um, um, as for who this movie stars... It's everybody. This um, cast is so good. Yeah. And like most of them are right at the start of their careers at this point because it's, I mean, because the big star, the big deal about this movie was that Drew Barrymore is in it, which is something we'll talk about shortly. 
but Drew Barrymore, Nev Campbell, Skeet Ulrich, Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Jamie Kennedy, and Liev Schreiber. Um, yes. Which feels and- like Liev Schreiber being in that bit role feels like an MCU style. We're setting this up for the next movie. He's going to, we got to be active for the role. Don't worry. He comes okay. back. Yeah. The, this movie. They got a whole ass Liev Schreiber for that part is is astounding planning for this well, time I, for me. I think when Kevin Williamson sold the script, he also sold either the idea or also script for Scream 2. So like That's they kind cool. of knew what they were going to do going in. So every this movie, because this, this and The Craft both came out in 1996. This had to have been filmed at least a few months after the craft was filmed, based entirely off the length of Skeet Ulrich's, Ulrich's hair or Ulrich's hair. And I know we bagged on Skeet Ulrich pretty dang hard on the craft. Take all that, throw it all away. He's, he's so, so good. He's so good in Scream. He's, he's so hot. He's so hot. Yeah. He's fantastic in this movie. Oh, um. Also, uh, is it it's Henry Winkler? Harry Winkler? Oh, yeah. Henry Fonz? Winkler. The Wink. The Fonz. The Look, Fonz. He's great as the Fonz, but he is not just that one role. He is one of America's greatest living character actors. His presence graces and delights every production his presence is included in. He is the Wink. Yeah, he is the kiss of life. Yeah, as, as for what it's about... Uh, it takes place a year after the brutal death of the main character, Sidney Prescott's mother. Uh, two new deaths occur in town, and now somebody is calling her and stalking her friends and planning to launch a new terrible scheme that is somehow related to her mother's death as well. Um, and scare level, guys, do we would we say this is spoopy as a not scary, spooky as in a little scary, terrifying, or existentially disconcerting? All of them. I, yeah, I would say spooky just to kind of balance it out because there's a lot of the fun stuff and the dumb stuff it is delightful enough to sort of lighten the mood. But um, there are some scenes that are very strong as horror in this movie that is kind of amazing because of how just um, meta it is. But there's still some some very, very good scary scenes here. Yeah, I don't find it scary, but like I find it thrilling. Like... It gets my heart going. <laughs> I thought I think there are moments in this movie that are spoopy, that are scary, that are like truly terrifying, especially the opening scene. Um, I think there, especially with, um, you know, we'll get to this, but some characters in their particular brands of misogyny is pretty existentially terrifying. Oh yeah, um, and what's incredible is these different tones of moments do not conflict with each other this movie does them all and it pulls all of them off yeah i I think this movie is often scary often spooky uh even though like it is also deliberately spooky in places and i think a lot of that is a testament to wes craven and Kevin Williamson, the way that this script and Wes Craven sort of just kind of sets up dominoes and just at the the point that he needs them to fall, he just hits the first one and they all go down. And like, I... you, you don't realize how much of it he set up until like it all starts going down. And then you're like, oh, oh, oh no. Oh, that, okay. Oh no. <laughs> one thing I was thinking about 
this movie came out in 1996. Would would this have been one of the first movies, and especially horror movies, where cell phones were a major story component? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about the fact that cellular phones are an important plot device in this movie. Like, there's yeah. some plot nonsense of cell phones, but I'm also just thinking like humans with the ability to now communicate with each other from any as fucking tj now appears with his goddamn ghost face mask (laughs) the ability the ability now to communicate with someone from anywhere and you don't know where they might be but they can still communicate with you that is an entirely new phenomenon in 1996 and it's something I think this movie actually does a really good job of exploring the horror aspects of. Yeah. Yeah. And then talking about, I mean, that's sort of going into our trigger warnings. Um, there is lots of blood in this movie. There's stabbing, there's shooting. There's lots of jump scares. There's lots of specifically sound cue related jump scares. Uh, if that's a problem for you, there is massive amounts of stalking and gaslighting. That's the main uh, things that I would caution people about in this movie. Uh, if, if either of those are triggers for you, that's the, the big stuff. Is there anything else anybody wanted to add to that? Um, power a state with the amount of gas power, like gaslight yeah. power. Yeah, that high school hallway scene where he's like, get over it. I'm like, <laughs> oh God. And then the, the pressure, the pressure to like, the insidious pressure that on the Campbell's character to have sex that was that's a thing that i don't want to talk too much about that because it is so very plot relevant i did i did like that one line though of him being like get over your mom's death because i'm like okay if we're casting a horror movie it's good that he knew we needed a chip (laughs) yeah that it's literally the thing we've accused at least five other horror movies of doing indirectly he actually says it that's the definition yeah. of a chip is whenever we get some variation of God, get over the horrible trauma slash supernatural event you're going through. All right. So all that said, that is the end of our non-spoilery section. We're going to jump into the recap here. So if you haven't seen the movie and you want to go see it, go do it. Otherwise, here we go. <laughs> so let's talk about the first. Let's talk about the first scene because the first scene is probably other than maybe the last couple scenes, the most defining thing from this movie, it's certainly the thing most people know about. Um, we could do an entire episode on just the opening scene, yeah. I feel. Because they, they oh. made an incredibly bold choice in this, which is to cast Drew Barrymore as their, their biggest lead to talk the most about her being in this movie of anybody and then to immediately murder her in the first scene. It works. So it's such a bold choice and it's so strong and it works so well. Um, it is a very long scene, though. It does give her a lot of spotlight um, in that bit, and filmed in beautiful Glen Ellen. I think Drew uh, Boy- I think Drew Barrymore chose this uh, part. I think they gave her the option of like, "What do you want to do?" And she was like, "Oh, I want to like make this iconic." Yeah, like I feel like she was also thinking like, "Oh boy, I can get paid a lot and only have to be on set for like two days." <laughs> that too. <laughs> but also the fact it is Drew Barrymore, it was like. It is a complete act one, two, and three horror movie in seven minutes. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Kind of like an yeah. opening, it's a thesis statement, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> Scream. 
It is a James Bond cold open. Yeah. For Ghostface, yeah. kind of. Yeah, because she... So we, we start with Drew Barrymore uh, hanging around in her house, popping popcorn by herself, getting ready to watch a scary movie. And she gets a phone call from The Voice. Um, this Great voice, voice. Is, This voice is, other than uh, the... Other than... Uh, Sydney Prescott, the most consistent thing about this if franchise, Ghost, probably the most defining thing about it. If Ghostface's voice, voice actor hasn't starred in an ASMR channel, <laughs> they're fucking saying on a gold mine. I don't know if I'd want that. But... You say you would, but then you'd be like, well, I gotta check it out. They'd be like, oh, this is working surprisingly well. <laughs> yeah, and this, this sort of starts off with him like asking her questions about what she's doing and about scary movies. And the first two times, you know, she, she hangs up on him. Then she decides to sort of play along a bit. Um, and uh, he, the Ghostface finally sort of drops the, uh, oh, I, I know you're not doing that because I'm looking at you right now. Um, well, I want to emphasize, she's not playing along. Like, she's into it. She is full on. Like, she is ready to go on a, like, to cheat on her boyfriend and schedule a date with Ghostface. I mean, there are a few things to do in Glen Ellen <laughs> other than indulge um, in the whims of prank callers and, you know, hang out alone in your ranch style house full of windows and well, glass patio doors. Imagine being the boyfriend. You've been kidnapped. You're tied up. The killer is right there. I assume at this point he has this part on speakerphone. And I, yeah, I know you've got so much worse going on, but then you also have to listen to your girlfriend being like, no, I don't have a boyfriend. Let's flirt some more. R.I.P. Steve. You're telling me if Jeremy called you on the phone and did his ghost face voice, you wouldn't be like, let's go get Brunt. (laughs) It depends on the context, I think. Okay. (laughs) You know? And the voice is Roger L. Jackson. And this. You know what? I gotta say, I, it's not like they don't have chemistry. I would totally see, like, if there was a radio play, like, or podcast story, romance story, and it was Drew Barrymore and, like, the ghost-based voice. I'm sorry, I already forgot the name you just said. Um, I, would, I would at least read some reviews and see if it was worth listening to and then maybe give it a shot. Yeah. I mean, he's, he sounds a bit sleazy to me, but, you know, I do, this there's movie a, is... There's a market for that and you know it. Oh, well, yeah, but I don't know. Like, it's funny because I can't really divorce myself from all of the, uh, the just the zeitgeist of this movie from seeing it so many times. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he's, <laughs> the guy on the phone is taunting her um once again she says she's gonna hang up again and uh you know he says if, if she does she'll die uh she says that her her strong boyfriend is going to be over any time it's not and, just a threat there is some really strong uncomfortably real feeling like violent misogyny at play oh, yeah. like there Does he say something like i'll gut you like a fucking fish or something yeah yeah he gets <laughs> Ghostface, at his worst, especially in this scene, gets very Freddy Krueger. Like, he he loves the word bitch. Uh, He really loves to, like, lay into those, like, yelling uh, abusive stuff at people. Um, Once you get the full story and you know the killer's origin, though, it's kind of impossible to divorce the character from just the most violent forms of misogyny. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so um, we we do get um, we get to meet Steve very briefly. Steve is we find out the boyfriend he is tied up outside, uh, and Ghostface is threatening to kill him uh, if she can't get these trivia questions right. And uh, he begins asking her some trivia questions uh, and asks her uh, for for Steve's life uh, who the killer is in Friday the Thirteenth, um, and she gets it wrong. Which she says Jason. And for any Alas. other Friday the 13th movie, that's correct. Except not the first one. Yeah. It's in Ghostface's defense. Like, come on. That's not a very difficult trivia question. If you're going for the big one, if you... She's like, I've seen it 20 times. It's like, then why did you get it wrong? It's that's panic. Not, these are pretty... Like, even if she'd been like, who'd play Jason? It's like, fuck, I don't know. It's like, these are... Rat or easy trivia questions, Ghostface. Who played the victim? <laughs> I'm trivia blaming Drew Barrymore. Maybe she saw the remake. Yeah. Just kidding. I saw the remake. That's the only Friday the 13th movie I've seen. Me too. It's fine. Yeah, so, so Steve gets gutted and uh, now she's playing for her own life. The only thing she has to figure out is which door Ghostface is at, her front door or her patio door. And uh, she... I mean, this is this is definitely a, a trick because uh, it, it proceeds with him then chasing her all around the house and then out of the house and finally horribly murdering her within sight of her parents who are, you know, pulling up to um, come back from, from home. Uh, they then find her uh, tied to a tree with her guts all over the place. I felt so bad for okay. those parents. When- Apparently the killer went to uh, the same art school that Hannibal did, though. Right. There's <laughs> during the chase around the house and outside the yard, though, there's a really important moment, I think. And TJ, what you said about this being the thesis statement of the movie, I think this is definitely part of it. There's a moment where Ghostface like sneaks up on her and she just straight up like cold cocks him with the yes. phone, like right in the nose. <laughs> and Ghostface like goes down, like it hurts him. Like it, like he falls over that. And apparently that was Wes Craven. This poor that guy was getting hit with the phone. <laughs> when Drew Barrymore hit him the phone. And compared to the slasher movies of your, like, you know, Jason and Michael Myers as these, you know, these unstoppable juggernauts, uh, Freddy Krueger as the supernatural dream hopping shapeshifter. It right away from the onset tells the audience, like, there is something human about Ghostface. He is not yeah. a supernatural slash creature. This is a human being with human capability. And it then there's like, and there's a lot of this movie of Ghostface getting his ass handed to him and getting completely clowned. And it does not make him ineffectual. It only reinforces that it is a regular, that it is a human being and just enhances that it could be anyone. I think that we have to ask an important question of us at this point, which is, do we want to go ahead and spoil the reveal of this movie and who the killer is right now? Because I think it's important to this scene and basically every other murder scene after this and how it works. I think we have to. Yeah, we're in the spoiler. We're in the spoiler section. We're in the end game, Tony. So to be... The the thing about this movie is that there are two killers. And that's why it works is because Ghostface is a full body costume. You can't tell the difference between people wearing it. Um, and in that way, they these two characters who are both horror aficionados are able to pull off a lot of things that feel like horror movies 
where it feels like Ghostface is everywhere, where it feels like he's chasing her and then he's in front of her. And because of this twist, Wes Craven is able to pull off some amazing things in this movie that feel like horror movies where there shouldn't be an explanation for it. It's just that he's too scary. But they they make sense with them just being normal humans once you know there's two of them. Because, you know, one of them is here and one of them is there. One of them pops up from this side and one of them is already behind you. It does add to the the reality aspect um, and that meta aspect of the film where, you know, all of the characters are a lot of, well, most of the characters are really into uh, horror movies. So it's separated from the horror movie, you know, the idea of movie. Um, So, you know, now we're getting, you know, we're getting into the meta, but the fact that the, um, that Ghostface being two killers, you know, also he's, he isn't terribly supernatural and that humanness that Ben talked about makes him less, um, less supernatural, but he still is formidable. Um, also yeah. makes it, it explains the uh, alacrity of um, stringing up Drew Barrymore um, yeah. <laughs> as quickly as they did. I think what Kevin Williamson just does so well, and like, of course, we have to give props to like uh, Wes Craven too and the actors, but creating characters that we're rooting for, like we see Drew, Drew Barrymore fight back and we're like mm-hmm. rooting for her and she's Drew Barrymore. So obviously we're going to root for her, but she's just fighting so hard. And I, I think we also see that um, with Sarah Michelle Gellar and I know what you did last summer, like you root for her so hard and you know, it's a horror movie. So we know what's going to happen. Um, but it's just, and the fact that Ghostface is so human, I think, also adds to that, that we're like, oh, maybe she could get away. Maybe she can overpower him. And yeah. then when it actually happens, it's like almost even more devastating than another slasher movie. Yeah, I think the, the thing, the reason that a lot of that works to me is he is, uh, he is supernatural seeming in that respect, where he is sort of everywhere because there are two of them. But at the same time, you can have that, you can establish, and Wes Craven does this, uh, we'll do this in Red Eye as well, that like you have a character, a female character who can like trade blows with this guy who might, who has a chance, who like this guy is not unkillable. Um, and, you know, you're able to not just have a, uh, you know, a Friday the 13th situation where you have woman after woman after woman who are just mowed down and murdered. Yeah. And I think to this movie's like, again, there being two killers, uh, Again, in this movie kind of being a whodunit horror, a mystery, like any whodunit, there's that rewatch value of then all of these scenes having extra meaning and nuance they pick up on. Like, hell, uh, you know, even when they're like, oh, if you pick the right door, you win. You know that there's that extra level of psychological cruelty being like, oh, there's two of them. There's one of them at each door. There is no right answer you can pick. To- so do you guys think both of them were there that night in this opening scene? Absolutely. Again, okay. it makes it way easier for two people to tie her up so quickly. Right. It makes yeah. sense. I just wasn't sure because Bill getting ahead a little bit, Billy has his alibi that he was elsewhere, but I guess he could have been there and then just like... I mean, his by. alibi could have been still. I guess extra yeah. slow, it's Billy and still. Yeah, <laughs> there's definitely a certain point in act three where my notes just become Lillard faces and Ulrich got, Ulrich got crazy eyes like over and over again. <laughs> so Matthew Lillard eats the scenery yes. voraciously. I do have to say one of my favorite 
moments i mean this whole movie is like my favorite horror moment ever but yeah. the part when drew barrymore is being dragged and her parents pick up the phone and they just hear her breathing oh that's it is yeah oh that's and, what yeah. i mean about the ex like the existentially terrifying like yeah. i'm not a parent i can't imagine a more sickening horrifying and the scream the mother lets out is just like scream yeah. queen level that that bit of the movie also was pretty scary like you know it's kind of goofy at the start um but uh yeah like that's once once shit hits the fan um and you see the the emotional impact of the parents it gets actually really upsetting um so this is not yeah. a movie where um you know characters just like die and it's like they exist for our and you die it's we get to see their like their families and loved ones and get to see their reaction yeah most of the time most of the and time. i mean that's the i mean this next scene is the introduction of sydney which sydney is uh, a testament to that in and of her same care her own character which is that her mother is the first victim of of these killers we find out later you know it's it's been a year at this point but we are immediately introduced to her trauma of having her mother having been, uh, she thinks raped and murdered. Uh, I think it's just murdered. Um, Can I ask you guys a question about your interpretation? Cause there's some discourse about, do you think Billy raped her mother and then killed her? Or do you think he just killed her and she had had sex previously? I think I mean, this would be, if this movie came out five years later, it would be incredibly clear because there would be a DNA test. Um, you know, so like the implication is that she had been fooling around with uh, Cotton Weary and that she was then, you know, caught and murdered by, you know, by Billy I, and um, Stu. And I'm I gonna, think that's, I'm definitely much more comfortable with that interpretation. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm go going with to two. agree with that. And I'm going to put on my Malcolm Bright hat of like, oh, I watch Prodigal Son and therefore I can do amateur <laughs> serial killer profiling uh rape is not a part of any of their like for all the deaths that we see them commit rape is never a part of their mo so it feels like it'd be surprising for that to have been a big part of their first kill and then not a part of their serial killer ritual that they then continued with yeah it's not part of the pattern exactly so i lean towards she was getting that good schreiber and then yeah so as i said in this next the next scene after drew barrymore dies we meet uh sydney and billy sydney is played by nev campbell billy is played by skeet ulrich uh i said hey we have half the cast of the craft here skeet ulrich i have to mention uh i'm just gonna say much more attractive and much more charismatic in this movie than he is in the craft he's so hot we talked about how much it felt like he didn't want to be doing the craft he's so clearly so into this movie like he is giving it his all it's how it's shot as well i think like they they managed they're always shooting skeet ulrich with slightly like slightly from above so he's like looking up from his eyebrows and he's like smoldering um but yeah he is also acting like he's actually doing his job he's also Um, very much got that like that quintessential 90s heartthrob hair like oh yeah he's got the gavin rosdale going on Mm -hmm. and he's actually pulling it off he is he pulls Um, it off so well yeah i I call it the the sean from boy meets world Um, yeah um not not blood and donuts i was thinking of bit anyway um yeah the the haircut that 10 years later would be adopted by by lesbians with an undercut um and would become you know important all over again (laughs) 
Yes. Well, let's say, well, look, the undercut is a game changer. Let's yeah. not devalue the undercut. I honestly, I'm, as somebody not. who had that haircut without the undercut for several years, I feel like I look back now and I'm like, man, lesbians had it figured out. Like, we just, I was so hot. Like, <laughs> if I had just shaved the sides of my head, I would have been so much less hot all the time. Like, uh, man, I mean, they really changed the game. I don't well, know it, quite how to tell you this, Jeremy, but uh, I gotta say, at least in my point of view, lesbian fashion is the way to go. Yes, this is this is correct. Um, I will say the undercut was really hot in the '90s amongst the metalheads and goths. So you know, I love uh, that when a rewatch, you can just like Billy is so obviously creepy and the killer the entire time, but like when you think it's a misdirect the first time you're watching, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Watching it again, I'm like, ugh. I mean, also he is kind of the worst. I mean, he's a lot more charismatic than he was in the craft, but this scene, he like shows up at her window and he's like, oh, you know, I would not deign to uh, cross the underwear line, but I'm still going to like try to while we're in bed. And, you know, I just think our relationship is, it's just edited for TV, which Let's is how I watched the, the screen movies for the first, uh, uh. Um, not edited for TV, but, you know, pan and scan rather than letterbox. For I, it's so weird because from the standpoint of being likable to the audience, being the killer is the best thing that like Billy could do. Yeah, like he goes from just like awful, unlikable creep that I don't want to be anywhere near to charismatic psycho that I'm like, give me more. I can't stop watching. <laughs> it literally makes this scene better that he's the yes. killer because. As fucked up as this is, the through line for Sydney in this movie is that he convinces her to fuck him by framing himself as being the serial killer he actually is and then making her feel bad about it so that he can fuck her, so that he can kill her because she can't, he can't kill her until she's had sex. Yeah, like, that's <laughs> crazy. Like, I was thinking the whole time, I was like, oh, my first thought was, oh, he's the killer. He wants to fuck her because evil bastard. And the thing, like, wait a minute, is it just because he's so into his delusion that he can't kill her uh, so long as she's a virgin? I mean, I think that that's it. But, like, also, the whole setup, uh, you know, when we go into the film and, you know, there's the attack and then, you know, Sydney, whatever, but we'll get there. Um, I didn't feel like it was on purpose to me. Like, I feel like um, Billy just kind of fucked up because he's a horny teenage boy. Um, I don't know if he was that much of a mastermind, but I don't know. I mean, like, now that you think of it, like, I, I mean, it didn't so, work that way. On the rewatch, are you able to kind of tell or figure out, or even just headcanon, like, ah, oh, this is definitely still. Look at this fucking dummy. This is still in the mask. <laughs> I think I mean, you can a lot of the time tell who's who just based on where the other one is at the, to- at the time or, like, mm. where they reference they were later in another scene. I assume every time that he takes a ridiculous pratfall, it's Stu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it might have been Stu. You know, I do have, like, seeing the, the end scene and how much they, uh, <laughs> like, how, huh, I, I don't want to get into it now because it's going to be everything I talk about. But that final scene yeah, with the two of them. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. And then, like, seeing their dynamic together. I feel like now I have this whole headcanon where that was a whole fuck up because Stu was jealous of, of Nev Campbell. <laughs> and so Stu was trying to get her and then Billy's like, no, I'll save her. And now she'll feel like, you know, and then she was like, no, 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 you just dropped a cell phone at my feet. 
Um, son, what are but you doing a, with that cellular telephone? It's a dummy cell phone, which means his plan was to be framed. And I'm still not sure why exactly. Yeah, that's why I'm like, I think he just fucked up. I think and- he was definitely trying to seduce her to take her virginity because they wanted her, because in a movie, like, the virgin always lives. Yeah. So, like, like I think that, that was his plan. Because um, he's I guess all it's weird just, about that. I guess it's just a level of, like, I'm a crazy violent person and I'm going to use these horror movies as a framework excuse for my violence versus if he's like, oh, this person I want to kill but can't because she hasn't followed the rules. I'm like, okay, now we're into some fucking Riddler territory. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I feel like that whole scene where she gets attacked that we'll, we'll talk about, we're not there yet. Um, that scene, he, I feel like he shows up to quote unquote save her and then she's like, oh, my hero. And then then they have sex. Like, I feel like that was his angle, but it was just so close. He didn't expect her. And it may be part of his like internalized misogyny as well that he just didn't expect her to like immediately finger him, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> like if, if she hadn't slept with him... I do think he still would have killed her uh, just because. Oh, at the end, yeah. Him, but. Yeah. I mean, that sh- that shit was going nuts. Um, what does that say about Billy's mindset that he's using, like, I mean, look, there's nothing good about Billy's mindset any part of this movie. It's <laughs> been like, hey, you know what really gets a girl in a romantic mood? Violent trauma. I mean, if anybody who sees a horror movie and with how much, like, sex or is in horror movies um, in the middle of crazy fucked up shit happening um maybe mm. that's what he thinks would happen billy thought the dumbass gas was gonna hit any minute now <laughs> can we talk about the iconic don't fear the reaper cover that plays when they make out uh, yes uh. a beautiful song over a scene that is not beautiful in or romantic <laughs> in any way i love it it's, it's uh, yes correct. it feels like I never saw Corpse Pride, but I feel like this should have been the theme song of Corpse Pride if Corpse Pride is just super romantic about dead people. <laughs> like, this is just like, I'm like, this is a beautiful song, and I feel so squicky bad watching this. Yeah, watching Skeet Ulrich being super gross. And then and Nev Campbell's so cute. She looks so, she's so, I love Nev Campbell. And oh yeah, and she has an Indigo Girls co- Indigo Girls poster, which again, with her not wanting to sleep with Skeet and the Indigo Girls poster, we're not saying, we're just saying. Yeah, there is a Glee line where Santana's like, I, I don't know if I'm ready to come out. I I, I just can't go to an Indigo Girls concert. I- <laughs> she not only is gonna, she has a the fucking poster in her room. Yeah. I mean, 10 years from now, she's going to have that haircut and be wearing, like, the same outfit that Billy's wearing, so, you know. Oh, Sydney gets butch in the oh, second she looks, and she's going to look amazing in it. Uh, yeah. So, let's go ahead and jump on to the, the next scene, um, which is, uh, we, we get to the school, there's a media circus outside, and we get to meet Principal Henry Winkler. Y'all, Henry <laughs> Winkler in this movie, great, because he's either being a red herring for the killer or he's being an early version of the deity. <laughs> but also we get uh, Gail Courtney Cox, who is the uh, news reporter, and uh, Kenny, her cameraman, who are covering the school murder. And we learn are also yep. uh, have a history of covering murders around here and have a lot to do with the brutal rape and murder case of, uh, of Sydney's own mother and are convinced that Sydney testified against the wrong guy, uh, Cotton Weary, 
who they don't think is at all responsible for her death, but is in jail for her death, uh, who is played for the fraction of a second that he's on screen by Leo Schreiber. On a TV screen within the movie. Y'all, Gail, what she's wearing in these first few is the brightest yellow-green dress I've ever seen. She looks like like a walking highlighter, and I was so (laughs) just... distracted that it legitimately took until the scene where Sydney punches her for me to go wait is that Courtney Cox (laughs) (laughs) I have to do it she's wearing another bright suit in the new movie coming out and I'm stoked for it Uh, is this the scene where we get the fat tub of lard ass line yes that's a bit later but yeah because we get the scene with the kids at the on the quad um before you know but she's like Kenny deserves better but Poor Kenny. I know it, these kids. Oh, these kids all hanging out. None of them act like friends. They, <laughs> they laugh are like fucking friends. ghouls. Sydney like the and- boys in her group, especially, are fucking ghouls. I don't know how she doesn't know that they're murderers. I mean, Jamie Kennedy seems like he's probably a murderer too. In this, why is Jamie Kennedy hanging out with any of these people? He is clearly friends with none of them. Like Tatum and Sydney are friends. That's it. Everyone else is like barely holding in seething resentment for each other. Yeah. So we meet the rest of the we meet the rest of the group here. They've all been interviewed by the principal and by the police, uh, including uh, Deputy Dewey, who is played by David Arquette. Who's who is Tatum's guys? Guys, we found a cop who's not a bastard. He's still shitty though. He's not he's good at his technically, job. Technically, he's, not a, he's a sheriff, but. He's adorable and I, I want to give him a hug. Yeah, so... so is the theory that Dewey was, like, in on it? That's a big theory. Dewey's so, got a again, real Mayberry that's, thing going on. That's the big plot twist of Scary Movie is yeah, that okay. the Stu and Billy analogs were just copycats using that as an excuse to go after, like, Sydney and Tatum analog, and then Dewey was behind, like, all the other killings. Like, so I honestly was, like, Again, so that was like a big twist is like, you know, as far as big twist. (laughs) But it's the kind of thing where I didn't know what from that movie I could trust to carry over to Scream and what was Scream. So the the important other characters we meet here are Tatum, who is played by Rose McGowan, who's Sydney's best friend, and uh, Dewey's sister, and also just very killable. She seems very killable (gasps) from the outside. I love her. Soup's killable. Yeah. Um, I love Tatum. I'm she has some great she, lines. I'm surprised she didn't have like, hey, I just had a bunch of sex with my boyfriend and here's a drawing of the family I'll have and then I'm going to go to war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we also meet uh, Stu, who's played by Matthew Lillard, who I guess is Tatum's boyfriend, but is really Billy's boyfriend. Um <laughs> which will become increasingly clear throughout this movie. But uh, the, the two of them are very close. Um, and we also meet Randy, who is not nearly as close to anybody in this group, who just seems like the guy that they let hang around. I don't know if maybe they get free rentals from it him at the, the, the video store. Oh, yeah. I but, definitely uh, want to know the story of how Randy got fired twice and went his way back into his job. <laughs> Probably yelling about serial killers in the middle. I worked at Blockbuster for years. That seems like a real story to me. I <laughs> so I worked at a video store with VHSs in 20 fucking 10. See, but that's like now a niche thing. Like that's like working a coffee shop. I feel like that, this was combination video store comic book shop. 
Okay, yeah. So yeah, so this is not like your blockbuster, your Hollywood. This is something that's a little bit more like niche specific. People this in the is- fandom, sorry. People this in the it. fandom love Randy and like I get it because he's kind of like, oh, this is you if you're a nerdy teen boy. You can relate <laughs> to him. But like I don't people just love him and I'm like, I don't I get it. Don't yeah, I got to say I don't get the randy love like this is a great cast and i don't think he does a bad job by any but if there's any part of the main cast that doesn't do as good a job as the rest it is jamie kennedy i feel like all the straight dudes that watched it that were in high school liked randy and all the gay ones and the women liked like tatum and sydney let's be honest the biggest quality jamie kennedy country movie is his first name being jamie so when he's yelling at jamie lee curtis it's also that he's talking to himself in the movie for an extra level of meta-ness yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that Jamie Kennedy does anything particularly wrong or less good than everybody else in this movie. I just think his character is a, a little like paper thin. He's not that interesting. His it, thing is being sort of the audience cipher. So yeah, I think it's just to, like I can't just to present imagine, the rules. I can't right. imagine anyone but Matthew Lillard giving that kind of performance, or like I can't imagine anyone but Nev Campbell giving that kind of performance. I can see other people giving as good or better a performance. Ben, can I tell you, do you know Hayden Panettiere? Yes. She does that for Scream 4 and it's amazing. I love that. Nice. Okay, so the the thing about this scene, one, apparently I also hung out with serial killers because the people I knew, some of the people I knew in high school were also ghouls like this to each other, but they were- Teens are monsters. Yeah, I mean, look, I knew people who liked Marilyn Manson in the 90s, what can I say? I mean, I like I mean, the fact that they're all actively joking about one, the murders of their classmates, and two, the brutal rape and murder of Sydney's own mother <laughs> seems the, like the, a little yeah, much. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't quite that bad. There, every as we find out, not even them, like everyone in the school is a monster. This is a school exclusively for sociopaths. I mean, it's, I feel like it's accurate though. Like, yeah. kids in my high school were evil. No, kids, like, I mean, especially in the, like, the super goth, like, death rock groups I was hanging out with, everybody was edgy to the max. Like, it was not cool to be wholesome. I Um, do not want, if I was 18 and something like this happened in my high school, I do not want to know what 18-year-old responds to that. It would have been bad. I mean, it, it, it may have actually in the long run been good, but I mean, it was, it's like the shit that we said i mean thinking about the the stuff in the craft about like the suicidal ideation you know are you one of those uh self-harming people you know like <laughs> this kind of shit people said was fucking off the rocker but here's the thing ginger snaps has now completely realigned my bar for like suicidal ideation so unfortunately like i feel like even if like, a character commits suicide in a movie i'll be like well yeah but it's not like it was as pro-suicide as ginger snaps odd um we're we're this is we're we're a bad influence on you ben um anyway so this this next scene with sydney is um i feel like i don't even know why it's there other than to like establish that what what's going on she's watching tv because because it's the 90s uh the same thing is on every channel i I love this scene because she's just flicking through and it's like at least five channels dedicated entirely to local news. Yeah, there's no like Disney afternoon. There's no Pokemon. Like, I mean, this is after school 
programming block. Like, I know Google and Facebook fucking decimated local advertising, like local journalism, but I don't think at any point there was five 24-hour news stations. Yeah, locally. <laughs> local news. And I she really... keeps going to them, like, fucking go to Nickelodeon or MTV. Watch Maybe some she Ren and cable. Stimpy. Sydney, watch some in... Ren and Stimpy. She lives in, like, Calistoga Road. I mean, you don't really get, you know, you might not get cable. They probably, considering those houses, they probably get cable. But I really wanted to talk, actually, about the scene, the previous scene with everybody, all these ghoulish children talking to each other because all these of children in their mid twi- in their mid to late 20s the ghoulish quote unquote 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 quote, 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 children teenagers played by like 25 year old people um this this bit is important because of the misogyny of these characters presented it's it's important about talking about the um the the horror movie meta because they say that a woman can't do this. A woman can't gut somebody. Um, and, you know, true crime lovers, as many of us are, know that that's not true. You know, um, a lot of women gut people and shoot and whatever. Um, but uh, the they were talking about basic instinct and they're talking about like combining, you know, or like comparing contrasting ways that things were, th- things were done, ice pick versus knife, you know, et cetera. Um, it was a very very kind of naive youth way of looking at it um but it is the uh perpetuated in a lot of these horror movies the you know very very rarely if not like never is the slasher not the supernatural whatever the slasher a woman and the the uh the victims are usually women uh, so, I will tell you, if you keep watching the movies, you might get a female killer. Nice. Well, and that Yay for equal important. opportunity murder. Yeah, but that becomes important later in this movie, too. So, um, I two things. There's a moment in that scene, and I like that you're like cutting someone, where Tatum asks, how do you gut someone? How do you, she said, how do you even gut someone? And I have my notes, with a knife, Tatum. <laughs> well, I mean... But, again, we talk about... Sorry, we talk about the twist you know realigning scenes to me like watching it this first time i'm just like this is run of the mill misogyny now knowing that they're the killers it's clear that like especially given how deep misogyny runs in billy and Stu's motive for murder to give credit for a woman for their crimes like i can see now how like it's a complete, they would take it as a complete and direct attack on their masculinity. Yeah, it's, it's not just so misogyny, pride. it's pride. Like, yes, it's pride in their job well done. So um, now we're, okay. So then we skip to Sid. She's at her yeah, house. Yeah, she hangs out in her house, falls asleep, waiting for Tatum, who she's supposed to be staying with for the weekend. Uh, she wakes up when she gets a call from the, uh, from the killer. Um, yeah, so the, the killer... Starts, you know, trying to do the whole game thing with with Sydney. Uh, she, the killer, attacks her. The first thing she does is go upstairs, which they've just been making fun of girls going upstairs instead of running outside <laughs> when they're being attacked by a serial killer. Um, and she she locks herself in there and starts uh, trying to make calls. And then uh, she's she's saved when uh, Billy comes through the window to interrupt this killing. Go ahead. 
I love that she locks herself in by using the other door in her room to prop the other door. It's like such a little detail that's like, yeah, this is her home. And like, she's lived here. She knows how to defend herself. Well, here. we see that. Like we get that set up when her dad yes. used early on and like that door just happens to be. So then Great it's like, off. ah, payoff. And this is also the scene where, that is taken, the, the dialogue in the scene uh, where the voice on the phone asks her, you know, do you like scary movies? And she's like, no. And he, why not? Well, it always involves some um, big breasted woman running away from a slasher, blah, blah, blah. And this bit of dialogue was used in the ads. And um, it, this ad, they, they played this ad. There was a bunch of stuff that was in the ads that I remember as well. But this bit of dialogue was also juxtaposed with the scenes that this these tropes were shown in the movie. So when she says big breasted woman, they cut to Rose McGowan opening the door to the garage, <laughs> you know, <laughs> running upstairs. They cut to her running up the stairs like they they cut this this whole ad for the movie to this bit of dialogue. And it was pretty, That's pretty great. Yeah, they did like my girl that. Tatum dirty is what you're telling me. <laughs> oh, they sure did um and rose mcgowan like you know she's i love the shit out of rose mcgowan as well um and uh you know for a while she was typecast but um anyway the that bit um also much like randy has a lot to do with the sort of thesis of this movie um and also nev campbell i'm gonna say throughout this movie uh exemplifies very good self-defense she kicks um she a few, a few flips in there yeah she does she lets people like you know flip over her she's actually like i feel like she's taken some self-defense classes so, i mean i don't feel like she put in the training that she would need in order to roundhouse kick a dog i don't think she <laughs> i would rather not see her roundhouse kick a zombie dog zombie dog zombie or not tj that is a res- that is a re- reference to our resident evil episode <laughs> Uh, one day I will watch that. Yeah. I... Don't worry about it. Don't, don't be show. in any rush. So, okay. I mean, you'll definitely listen to our episode when it comes out because it's going to be great. Don't be in any rush to watch the movie. <laughs> Maybe if you've got a, if you've got some alcohol handy and you know somebody that'll be fun to make fun of it with, that's a, a great movie for that. Um, yeah. So yeah, she's she runs from the guy, uh, blocks herself into the room. Billy comes in to to save the day. He's you know there to to save her, and then a cellular phone falls out of his pocket. Gasp, a cellular phone. Son, what are uh, you doing with that cellular Who has a cellular phone? phone? It must mean that he's the one making the call to, you know, to get her. Um, and so when the cops arrive, he, she turns, uh, she turns Billy over to them, convinced that he's the killer. Uh, also, Gail shows up to, uh, to jump this ambulance and uh, go ahead and uh, screw with Sydney some more. And uh, Sydney just straight up lays Gale out, which is like a fantastic scene in here. Oh, it's so good. She like, she literally punches Gale in the face. Bam, bitch went down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, where I had in my also, notes, Courtney Cox. Yeah, that's where, that's where I've, I'm convinced that uh, Sid has taken like self-defense classes because um, she can throw a punch. Um also, apparently, Courtney Cox did not get this role the first couple of times she auditioned to, for it and kept fighting them on it because she really wanted to play this character that she thought was unlikable and a bitch because she was so used to being like the likable character and everything, thanks to friends. So she was like, I just really, 
I just really need this part of this wholly unlikable newscaster. She's character. a bitch, but she's so likable. And yes. also, I can't think of, you know, for as much as this movie is about the genre of the slasher, I feel like Gale especially is an element I've never seen in any other slasher. I've I've seen some Gales before, but they always die. Like she's she the fact that she survives and she's also like an awesome character with agency. Um, you know, I I don't think she's like a I mean she's a cool she's a good character. Um, Gail is a huge bitch. I love that Courtney Cox. I didn't know that about Courtney Cox that she just wanted to be this asshole because she's like. She seems like the worst and you you do she does grow on you through the movie um especially because the movie tries so hard to to telegraph that she's a bitch then i'm like no i'm not gonna think she's a bitch movie because I like gail is a woman with ambition and they like they don't penalize her for that you're like you yeah still root for her. yeah yeah An unapologetic ambition like there's one boy where it's like an innocent man on death row a serial killer on the list do you know what this will do for my career I love it. <laughs> have my book sales. I think yeah, yeah, her book sales. I think she has one like, have they ever given a crass tabloid journalist the Pulitzer? First time for everything. Yeah, she she treats Kenny horribly, which is the the unlikable part. But otherwise, you know, she's she's kind of like the Freddie Lowndes um, from Hannibal, who is awful and wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, do you guys think this was Billy dressed up as Ghostface? Or do you think Stu was also there? I think, I think Stu it was Stu was dressed up well, so? with Ghostface, and I think Billy was making yeah. the call. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I but I think the key is when is it both of them with one on the other shoulders? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that was going to be part of the plan later. <laughs> they were going to do that, like a master. That's blast when they thing. do super mega forearm giant Ghostface. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't be the first time Stu sat on Billy's face. Come on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, do you think uh, Stu's the po- or not Stu? You think Billy's the power bottom? Uh, so, if you listen to Final Dems, they talk about how yeah. <laughs> Billy is a fake top. I oh, love yeah. that. Yeah, they like they they really nailed it with Billy is a fake abusive top and Stu is just playing a bottom. Yeah. <laughs> and they, yeah, and, Billy's and, a bottom. Come and on. they really nailed Tatum having some real Brad energy. Oh, Tate. Okay, Tatum. I love the shit out of Tatum as well. Um, also, because like whenever this movie tells me that somebody sh- is bitchy, then I'm like, no. Except for the dudes. The dudes. I'm like, oh yeah, no, they're all the worst. Except for Dewey, sort of, and Randy, sort of. Yeah, Not I mean, just speaking Dewey. of Dewey, this is Dewey, Dewey comes back in at this point, and uh, Sydney uh, goes goes to stay with Tatum and Dewey at their house. He gets, you know, they get kind of an escort from Dewey, who is showing her the whole house, even though she's been to this house. Tatum's her best friend. Um, <laughs> you know, he's he's really taking this uh, sheriff stuff seriously, um, and they, she does then get a call from Ghostface at their house, thus proving that it's not billy and getting him off um you know even though he was at the scene of the crime and she <laughs> accused him so now now he's uh, made himself look like the victim of her so we find out later that billy used his one phone call to call her but i'm like why didn't Stu just call her right he could have used his phone call for something else but she does she guesses that that might be the case but then like that's before that she before she knows that like there's two of them because that's that's while they're still like in bed before he gets murdered. 
Yeah. Um, Gets quote unquote <laughs> murdered. Um, yeah. So Tatum, the, the, getting the call at tatum's house you know uh sid's freaking out and then they're calling for dewey and dewey runs in in his underwear with his gun um bless also when when they're when they get off the phone dewey picks up the phone and that's like the end of the scene where he picks up the phone he's like hello (laughs) like um trying to to sound badass and i know that that might lend itself to the theory that Dewey was in on it, but I don't. I don't think Dewey has two brain cells in his head that he can no. rub together. I'm still trying to think, like, well, why exactly did Billy fake his own death at the end? Other than it's a great twist for the movie. But the problem is, Billy's whole deal is that he's trying to be in a horror movie, so it's a great twist for a movie is all the fucking motivation he needs. Yeah, that's the that's the thing that actually really works well in this movie. Um, as like the all of the like crime solving shit and like the the actual logistical shit that happens in this first couple acts of the movie make a zero sense how they work. Um, and I have this note like, you, this is how you know the movie's for teens because nothing works the way it's supposed to. But um you know that that's not what matters because this movie fucking pulls it together in a way that you do not anticipate especially after seeing like all of the parodies you know there's yeah i'll tell you at least for me having gone into this like this is my first time i have a vague idea who again i had like four people that i thought like the killers might be based off my half remembered scary movie viewing from ooh probably 18 years ago now um, fuck, I'm old. <laughs> shit. Uh, oh, shut up. Right. Uh, I'm 38. <laughs> like, I, there was a moment where before, like, the reveals happened that I figured out Lillard was a killer, but I thought he was the killer. And especially, like, Billy's fake death, absolutely, like, I bought into. So I, it was, that was totally a whoa moment. So I, I, yeah. I, got, I got one out of the two. Yeah, I mean, Billy's fake death is is a twist which is something he's invested in but it also puts him in the right place to you know set everything up at the end like yeah he can can be inside and not be a threat to them while clearly ghostface is outside yeah and that ghostface outfit is cheap enough that you could just throw it on yeah and clearly it's cheap enough that everybody at the school buys one for the next scene i mean that that feels like a really important part of the franchise and even an element in the end when uh, the tape, when Sydney is able to turn the tables is this is a costume that, as they say, is available at any Halloween pop-up store. Uh, and all you have to do is put it on and you're the ghost face killer now. Yeah. Now, the second school day filmed not inside because it was mostly these are inside shots. This one's filmed at the San- uh, Sonoma Community Center where Brett recently, well, two years ago now, <laughs> taught classes in printmaking so put that on your map for uh did he uh, while he was there tell anybody there that they should get over the horrible tragic death of their mother no he didn't because that sure is what uh what our what our boy does coming back from jail he comes back from jail and is like can't believe you thought i was the killer you know what you should really get over the fact that your mom was brutally raped and murdered again god not not knowing the twist is the chippiest of chip things knowing the twist is downright horrifying and so emotionally abusive oh my god i mean even even like without him being the killer and all the shit that he did before this where he's like I just, 
I guess I'll settle for a PG-13 relationship. Um, all of the pressure that he puts on her to put out and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then this shit is just like, I wanted to punch him so bad. <laughs> it's almost better that he is a serial killer rather than like just a sexual harasser. Yeah, th- <laughs> than just a chip. Yeah. Like, Chip was just shitty. Yeah, and- like, this is just shitty, but if you're going to be a serial killer, well, fuck, then now you've got style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pizzazz! It's okay, because he's, you know, he's going out with Matthew Lillard. Yeah, so, if you, were, if you were a sexual harasser, you wouldn't need to be in this movie. You could just produce it. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so uh principal fawns and his giant scissors are expelling people from school because uh they are running around in, in ghost face killer masks after uh two of his students have been murdered and one nearly murdered by this guy which is i'm i'm gonna take a stand the right thing to do it's um, a great yeah. scene winkler is fantastic when he threatens them and it gives us another like a brief lift but another absolute like red herring in whodunit three like he is definitely a potential ghost. Yeah, um, that that will not last very long. Because first, I mean, she is uh, Sydney is chased around by you know a ghost face killer who shows up in the bathroom, um, who is just sitting in the stall whispering, I guess, for a while. Um, there's also the uh, evil uh, evil cheerleaders who are hanging around there, just talking about how Sydney made the whole thing up. I would love to see that cheerleader actress come back in Dream 5, having started like this universe's version of My Favorite Murder. Right? We're at the point where uh, where our principal is murdered. Uh, but before that, he looks out in the hallway and the only person around is the janitor who is Wes Craven in his best Freddy sweater. That is amazing. And hat. Wes Craven going full Freddy Krueger cosplay for the split second cameo was delightful. Was his name Fred? Fred the it janitor? Was. Yes. It, was. it was. Fred the janitor. Fred the janitor. who was, yeah, Wes Craven dressed full on as, as Freddy Krueger. And they... Bless you, Wes. From, from here, we get a couple of short scenes outside of uh, the group of them getting ready or discussing going to the party tonight. Uh, they They talk, you know... Uh, Sid into coming to the party, which I guess is it. Is it at Stu's house? It is at Stu's house. Okay, and it's going to be in the new movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure if it was Stu's or Randy's, but Wikipedia said Stu's. Are they filming the new movie? Yeah, it's already. Yeah, because they do ask Randy in the next scene, which is at his job, whether or not he's coming to the party. Um, And this is where Randy gives his very. Yeah, this is the video store scene, and this is where Randy really defines who his character is. This video store is the Bradley video, may it rest in peace, on Marlowe Avenue, where Brett first rented Project Aco. Oh, Bradley video was one of the uh, Sonoma County uh, chains of movie rental places. Now, if I could have picked a movie rental place to film a movie, I probably would have picked Video Droid. Because that one was cooler, but the layout was less like quintessential, as Ben, you, you brought up, quintessential video store, less windows in a video droid. They were more cave-like. But um, yeah, not, Bradley, yeah. yeah, the Bradley video, like seeing that, you know, I could smell the carpet cleaner and stale popcorn. We had one uh, right across from the university here in Runner Park 
um and i oh boy how many how many animes did i rent from there <laughs> not just animes but lots of animes that video store transported me <laughs> that was the purest fucking heroin grade 90s nostalgia i've ever seen i was like you said i was there i was smelling the the candy in the plastic and the videos and the carpet cleaner the the fucking third eye blind is vaguely playing in my in <laughs> like that was such a oasis of just i feel like if i could like whatever the 50s diner was that's like the 90s video store yeah bradley video was was not a hollywood or not a blockbuster so it had a little bit of flavor guys can um, we kickstart to buy the Blockbuster license and restart it as a pure 90s nostalgia experience pop-up store. I feel like that would be successful. Yeah. There's a meme that came out of this scene where Billy and Sue just have Randy like between them and they're like ogling him. And (laughs) it's like two gays looking for a third. They are full (laughs) sandwiching him. This is an absolute double team. The, are yeah. they John claude Van Damme and Dennis Rodman? Because it's a double team. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't seen double team starring Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dennis Rodman do. It's fantastic, by which I mean terrible, but bonkers. I think I may have rented that at the Bradley video. I love it's that a- Randy is like shit-talking Billy to Stu, and little does he know, <laughs> Stu is like in on it. It's so funny. Is, well, isn't think- there at one point where Stu is just like, playing with randy's ear yes Yes. Stu is very touchy in this movie like he's like ooh, and like just kind of putting his chin on people and stuff and like just being very very flirtatious with every well actually he's more flirtatious with the dudes than he is with the with the ladies in the movie i mean rose mcgowan at one point but this is Stu. I feel like especially is a. It's like there's a lot of homoeroticism regarding Stu and Billy in this movie. Apparently, yeah. apparently this this scene interests me because apparently Jamie Kennedy got the part because he ad libbed a lot of stuff and Wes Craven thought he was hilarious. Um, and I <laughs> no, can only actually... assume that like he's ad libbing shit in here and Matthew Lillard is like, "Let's fucking go, let's go. I'm gonna fuck with you the whole time. Like I'm gonna mess with your ear. I I'm gonna wonder." Just... How much footage they have is just Jamie Kennedy ad-libbing to the faces Matthew making in the scene. Because they are, this is like Jim Carrey with the mask on, but it's just fucking Matthew Lillard being (laughs) Matthew Lillard. Oh, that's the brilliance of Matthew Lillard. Yes. Our next scene is Dewey and the Sheriff. This scene is just here to deliver red herrings and exposition, uh, which is, they're like, hey, uh, yeah, it turns out that those calls to the phones did actually come from Sydney's dad, who's supposedly been out of town, but has never checked into his hotel. Definitely, he's the guy killing people. And that's been you a running out for him. That's been a running element throughout the can. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we get the red herring of the dad. It is the most forgettable got... running element of this movie because I keep forgetting <laughs> that it's a thing until like. They're like, oh yeah, it's yeah. definitely dad because it's clearly like it's clearly not the dad. This might be me looking too hard for red herrings, but between the sheriff being so like, oh yeah, we found who did it, and I show you, and maybe it's just because when the killer comes out of the bathroom, there's a close up on his boots, and then this scene, there's also a close up on the sheriff's boots. Yeah, and I thought they looked similar, so I'm like, oh, maybe it's the sheriff. Maybe the sheriff's the ghost face, and also. 
I really just wanted strawberry ice cream because David Arquette made that shit look delicious. Well, there was a synchronized like ice cream cone lick from David Arquette and then uh, the sheriff's like cigarette. Like they both like the sheriff took a took a drag on the cigarette while David Arquette was like, oh, lick ice cream. That must have been David Arquette's favorite day of filming. Oh, my God. He's so adorable. What did you guys think of the Dewey and Gale subplot? Because when they first start flirting and she's like, you look like you're 12. And the flirting there was a little weird to me. But I feel like she's, I feel like it was this fun little romance. I feel like she started out being like, I'm gonna use him for information. And then she's like, shit, I actually really like him. He's really nice. Like by the end, I'm like, this is sweet. I'm in, I ship it. I they got married in it. real life after this. They oh, did. That's Unfortunately, right. oh my god! They got divorced like they right did. after Scream Four. Unfortunately, oh. did not work out as well as uh, the old Freddie Prinze and Sarah Michelle Gellar. So, am I the only person that uh, thinks maybe maybe this is a prequel to Cougar Town? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Was Nev Campbell ever in Cougar Town? I no, feel like Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell should have been in Cougar Town. I mean, if Danny Pudi can be in Cougar Town, then Nev Campbell should have had a guest spot. Sure. You know, I think like good for Courtney Cox, but uh, Gail, I, I, I really feel that Gail and um, Deputy Dewey is not a balanced relationship by any means because Deputy Dewey is like 25 going on nine. <laughs> um, and then she's like, hey, hey, little boy. And it's just it's not great. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think she's definitely using him. And I think that she's just a sort of like, eh, okay. Eh, you know, which is also like, yeah, okay. You know, if he wasn't like, if he did have more than two brain cells to rub together, I would be like, yeah, go, Gail, take your man. And then no. But Himbo, um, discourse power hour is Deputy Dewey a himbo? Yeah. Uh, yeah 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 oh uh, yeah, yeah. That's he's really cute yes. enough to be a himbo though like he's not what i i feel like there's a cuteness factor that you need to be a himbo successfully and i, I don't know that dewey matches it he's adorable yeah he's yeah. pretty cute not like in an attractive way but in like <laughs> a cute stuffed animal way he's yeah. cute but not in an attractive way <laughs> yeah He's cute, but in a way I want to like pinch his cheeks and be like, oh, you've grown so much. Yeah, I like that's... <laughs> let me feed you pasta. He's a he's a himbilly. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Ooh. Ooh. Um, um, okay. So that scene, yeah, that scene's just there to, to put us on the trail of the dad who was also clearly not the killer. Um, but Fieldsburg. the movie really wants everybody to believe that he is the killer. Um, dad has not enough screen time to be the killer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, that's so one of the brilliant we, things of this movie is that we're so used to here's a group of teens and there's a killer after them. And this is here's a group of teens. The killer is one of them. Yeah. Or yeah. is it one parentheses or more of them? Yeah. So now we get to the party, which is somehow the majority of the movie is this one scene of the party. Um, Apparently, this was an extremely long shoot, something like 40 days, uh, all spent at this this one location to do the party. Um, apparently, all the crew have commemorative t-shirts about how long this shoot was at the house. Um, 
because we get all the major characters in one place. Gail shows up with her camera and puts it inside uh, so that they can snoop. Um, and we establish that there is a 30 second tape delay from the camera, which is just like, if you've Insane. seen enough scary movies, you're like, oh, okay, now we're setting a thing up. Like, that okay. might be important. <laughs> yeah. I'm really mad because this is the scene, this is the location that I saw the signs for. If I had, uh, of course, I was I was very young. I was not driving at the time. So my folks were driving. So, But if, if we had like diverted from our usual course, like maybe, you know, one quarter of a mile, we would have met Matthew Lillard. Oh my gosh. Apparently a few years back, um, I forget who orchestrated this, but there was like a gathering at the at Stu's house in real life. And like all these Scream fans watched the movie projected onto the side of the house. And it looked really fun. Well, you gotta let me know. You know, you're you're on top. You're the screen aficionado. Screen scream aficionado. <laughs> so we you, living in New York means sometimes you walk through Washington Square Park and everything is the 1950s for some reason. Right? And then I eight just, months later, you're watching Marvelous Mrs. Mason. You're like, oh, so that's what that was about. I assume all these the signs you're seeing must be signs that are like, just please stop calling the cops. Like. It's just a movie. <laughs> Please stop. Right. Well, we saw th- that there's some guy in a we mask. We saw the dollies and everything. Field. and They had to have been there filming just recently. They had to. Well, I mean, I haven't been out of my house. <laughs> right. Like, fuck. Um, but yeah, like we saw the trailers and we saw everything from the road and we're like, oh, I don't watch a movie. And anyway, so RIP me. Um, anyway, so we're now at this is this scene is masterful. It is like, Jeremy, you've talked about third act syndrome. This is like reverse third act syndrome where like, you know, this makes the movie, you know, everything before this gives us the context to make all of this work as well as it does. Um, But yeah, this is like, you know, you can really get invested in this bit. This is this. This is what takes a movie that was already an A and makes it an A plus. Yeah. So, I mean, we get everybody headed in different directions. We find out about the tape delay. So uh, uh, Kenny, who's in the van, can see what's going on inside. Um, People start separating. Gail and Dewey go off to go find this abandoned car that they've heard about down the road, um, which, you know, turns out to be the, the dad's car. Another red herring on that one. Um, we have uh, Tatum is the first one to go because Tatum goes to go get drinks from the garage and um, I really appreciate as, as much as the there's some some kind of wonky stuff in here I do appreciate Rose McGowan's performance here of the oh you, am I supposed to play the victim now am I supposed to like scream yeah. and run around this, I want to be in the sequel Mr. Ghostface this yeah. deconstruction <laughs> of the supporting character death while still doing the supporting character death just works so great yeah and, I love I, when she's throwing the beer bottles at him yeah it's a way of having its cake and eating it too in a way that works better than some other horror movie deconstructions yeah, I can we'll, think we'll of a way that it specifically does the exact same thing that they do in that other horror movie that we talked about with DJ before hey uh, now but <laughs> they don't do you the knew thing we had that to they get... do in that movie. TJ, you're the yeah. one who picked two horror deconstructions at a certain point. You knew this was I know, movie. I'm sensing a trend with myself. Yeah, uh, so um, we, we start getting the conversations. Uh, so we end up 
with you know her running into or Sydney running into Billy in the house and they go upstairs to have some you know alone time uh we get the conversation about uh that this is real life this isn't a movie uh and he said and Billy says sure it is it's all one great big movie you can't choose your genre um meanwhile Tatum is getting murdered. Does anyone do that feel like their whole life is like a big movie or like a show? Yes. Sometimes, but that's usually when my anxiety is talking because I'm like, things are going too good. This is where uh, record scratch happens. (laughs) (laughs) I always imagine things as like a Parks and Rec or The Office type sitcom. That works. I have to derail this for a second just to say that the fake Rose McGowan that gets killed in the garage door is so bad. Oh, yeah. I feel like for the most part, when she's going up, they do fine. The way the the version of her that Sydney will find later is too much. So it is her going up. So a fun fact about the production on is Rose McGowan in real life had absolutely no problem getting through that like that door in the garage. So obviously it's really clear so they had to that yeah. she so they gets had, the largest part of her through that door. So <laughs> they had to staple her shirt to the side of the door to keep her in place. I heard someone got the dummy, like they sold like they auctioned it off and like someone owns that dummy. <laughs> I hope it's in like just the most horrific condition, like the TMNT three live action Leonardo costume from like oh, everyone's God. nightmares. Oh God! Don't. <laughs> um, yeah. So she. Yeah, Tatum gets killed trying to crawl through the doggy door in the garage, um, and they they put up the garage door, and she gets crushed. This must be the nineties. The nineties garage doors must have been much more high quality because my garage door yeah. never pull this the- off. I feel like ready or not, and as you know, as we do episodes, I'm noticing trends with of deaths, and this is our third person stuck in thing going inevitably up. We had it with the dumbwaiter and ready or not, the elevator and Resident Evil, and now the garage and scream. This garage yep. is easily the least powerful of these three <laughs> devices. Yes, so. I feel like the garage should just kind of get stuck on her and not be strong enough to crush her, and just be like. And she should just be kind of hanging there and be like, If someone could pick her up, it should just end with ow? her going, ow. And then, and then Ghostface walks over and stabs her or something. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem is that, yeah, just Ghostface. Yeah. Um. So w- we then get this followed up. Um, you know, they're having the, they're simultaneously having the sexy scene between Sydney and Billy upstairs when uh, she has finally decided that uh, she is, is going, to, uh, going to have sex with him. Uh, but is this when well, we is this intercut with that iconic the rules scene? Yes, it's intercut first with Randy talking about the obligatory obligatory tit shot, which they specifically do not do in this movie. They pan behind Billy as she is taking off her bra, so you don't see anything, uh, which is something that Joss Whedon later did not do. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like recently we... shit talked Joss Whedon for like two hours. So no, yeah. you did? Off, I did. Aw, TJ, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> based off what we, you know, so I wasn't thinking, so I was not thinking about that, but based off what you're saying about the behind the scenes and the ratings, I wonder how much of that was Wes Craven being, we don't need that, it's it's crass, the movie doesn't need it, and how much of it was, we have to do everything we can to get this movie and not NC-17. Well, assuming all the issues, apparently all the issues with the rating were blood and gore related. Um, yeah. 
I, I don't think that was ever a, a thing because it is very well, specifically filmed in a way that yeah. like it pans behind. In that case, fucking and, good on you, Wes Craven. Yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. great. Yeah, which I mean, I feel like there's not a lot of that in Wes Craven horror movies generally. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is not a particularly uh, nudity heavy. Well, series. I feel like Johnny Depp went to, had to have gone to us, right? <laughs> there you I go. Mean, Obligatory titshot. Yeah, he's everythingless by the end of that movie. He I sure love the cross, the fountain of blood. He yeah. sure is. Can oh, hey, how great would it have been if the fountain of blood was still wearing the crop top, though? I have to point out the Tatum wears a shirt Tatum. at some point in this movie, and it it's a reference to Johnny Depp's crop top from Nightmare. Oh yeah, Street. she has a little oh. crop top that's a, that has like the no, the numbers. A ten, I think. Yeah, it's like a <laughs> like a jersey style um, yeah. print. Yeah. Every time Wes Craven is referencing his own work, it just feels like such a wonderful power play. Like the fu- and the fuck you gonna do about it? Yeah. Well, and also like, well, this isn't some Wes Car- Car- Carpenter movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like I like to hear John Carpenter's thoughts on that. Um, but uh, I, I there's a scene. Okay. Par- I, I know like it's written in by Kevin Williamson, but that this movie so heavily references John Carpenter. Well, being a Wes yeah. Craven movie just feels like it feels like Wes Craven giving some props here, which is is cool. Uh, but this is also totally. the scene where yeah. we get the rules, um, which is a, a I'd like to a imagine they were that, buddies in real life. Yeah, a, a scene that continues to uh, show up places, which is uh, Randy gives the three rules that uh, you have to have to follow to survive a horror movie, which is never have sex, which he is of course saying this as Sydney is having sex. Um, never drink or do drugs, which everybody there with him is doing. And uh, never see, never say, "I'll be right back," um, because that's just which Stu does in his shaggy voice right away. Yeah, yeah, well, and this was also part of the ads. This was another another ad featured this bit or one of the trailers or whatever. Yeah, no, that's a lot of sort of the thesis statement of this movie is like there's things you can do to survive a horror movie. Um, they're metatextual. Uh, yeah, and Stu of course says, uh, "I'll be right back," and goes to the garage to get beer. Um, a place where we know somebody when is dead. I, this is when I knew that Stu was like a killer. This is like, mm-hmm. that was the moment where I'm like, aha, it's Lillard. I figured it out. So there's a movie. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a, it's interesting too, because like this whole movie, Billy speaks in movie terms he speaks in movie and tv terms and so every conversation that he has with nev campbell um has some sort of allegorical movie reference um although he says something about jodie foster and in uh um silence of lambs having flashbacks with her dad which didn't happen in the movie but did happen in the book which is interesting to me because later on they say they never established why hannibal Lecter eats people and i'm like yeah bitch they did in the books. So, yeah. anyway. I mean, he's a regular homicidal well, Lorelai Gilmore, so. Billy does yeah. not, does Billy look like a book reader? Well, that's the thing, is that he referenced the book, but not the movie, but then he referenced the movie and not the book. Well, I mean, Silence of the Lambs was a much better book than like, Hannibal Rising, so. Yeah, it's like, does anybody really want to reference Hannibal Rising? Uh, that, very good point. But, you know, the fact that he's talking about flashbacks, Jodie Foster's flashbacks, I'm like, nah, dog, that was contact. <laughs> like, I think you're thinking of contact. Can't imagine why you would get it mixed up with Silence of the Lambs. But here we are. You yeah, do you, thing. Billy. Actually, don't. You're a crazy misogynist murder man. You do stew. We'll call you it do, You do stew. 
Now there is there is one That's problem for the progression of the movie at this point, which is the house is full of people, uh, so it's difficult to kill anybody. So somebody has to call the house and inform Randy that the principal is dead and has been uh, trussed up on the goalpost. At which point, all of these fucking ghouls that go to this school are like, "Let's go check it out before they take him down." This and is like a... hate your principal, sure, but like that's fucked up. This yeah. is a strategy that relies entirely, accurately, mind you, on everybody in this town being a fucking monster. It's suburbia. Just now realizing, having seen this movie so many times, I've always been like, why did they kill the principal? And I'm like, oh, it's to like get them to leave, I guess, so they don't have to well, kill I in, I interpreted, and get school out. I, always, I also interpreted that as if they were treating the school as a hunting ground, then in that sense of like prideful entitlement way, how dare he deprive them of like their victims. Right. So like they, so like to me, it's like by closing the school, he was insulting their pride. And we see how that's like something they can't let go without killing. Yeah. So I mean, all these, all these guys rush off to go see the dead principal and almost run over Dewey and Gale in the process. They're uh, all drunk. Causing, causing Dewey too. and Gale to tumble down the hill <laughs> And I guess have a romantic moment. Another favorite Joss Whedon trope from Justice League, in case that wasn't clear. I, I'm going to point out a couple things about the scene. Gail asks Dewey what his real name is. He says it's Dwight. She says, I'm sorry. That's pretty much the whole gist of that character. Thick for and it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it feels like she's like, what is your real name? And how is it possibly worse than Dewey? Oh, it's Dwight. And Dewey's then she's like, no, it's sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm filming teenagers without their consent. Uh, I mean, that Gale, checks out for her character. So, yeah. are fast and loose at the best of times. Yeah. At this point, also, they do the one useful thing that uh, Jimmy manages to do in this movie, which is they find Sydney's dad's abandoned car, um, which, I mean, really isn't useful because it turns out, you know, it's, it's a plant. Um, meanwhile, back at the house, uh, Billy has. Billy, Billy has gotten dressed uh, just Sorry. in time to get attacked by the ghost face killer and stabbed. Um, and then uh, Sydney escapes through the window, diving into the uh, luckily placed boat outside. God, Billy just has the... Like, when you... Like, when books describe eyes as piercing, they're fucking describing Skeet Ulrich in Scream. It's bad that I'm so attracted to him, especially when he's being crazy. Dude, can I ask the get what I think about this movie and hotness? The I don't know if it's an actual gif or it's just a gif my brain has made up. Is just him licking the corn syrup blood off his fingers. He sucks it. Psychotic. Yeah, that I is like, tweeted it. That is by well, far the, the sexiest moment of the whole film. Yes. They're such a good, like, him and Stu are such a good duo. Because this is the thing that I observed when I was in the 90s and all the monsters I was hanging out with, which is one of the realism issues of this movie that made it real to me, even though it's, you know, some of these are fucking cartoon characters, but, like, they're still great. There was a pattern. You had tall, dark, and handsome and slightly shorter and funny looking. And that was the duo of dudes. Like, these, this is, this is... Well, this now we have a short works. psycho king and his tall, crazy-faced boyfriend. Yeah, so they kind of they kind of mixed it up a little bit. You know, I'm sure if 
if they recast if matthew lillard wasn't matthew lillard they would have cast somebody shorter for uh stew but matthew lillard is just so him that he needs to be there um but yeah so they 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 do that dynamic as well as you know being interesting yeah because we just had uh the the killing upstairs and uh she's jumped out the window so ghostface has to go find somebody else to kill uh wanders downstairs to find uh randy having a monologue to the television as he watches jamie lee curtis on halloween um, and is warning jamie to look behind her jamie look behind you uh, which has made really incredible, you know, this being uh, Jamie Kennedy, Jamie Kennedy in this yeah. scene. You know, he, he gets he gets interrupted, uh, does not end up killing Jamie Kennedy. But at the other end, we see shortly thereafter them watching this movie or watching what's happening through the camera. Kenny pops out to go warn somebody, at which point he sees that the door is open and remembers that there is a 30 second delay and then gets immediately stabbed. Because uh, yeah, the not just throat, not just stabbed. Is it, is, not just stabbed. His yeah, throat, throat is slit. Yeah. Right? yeah, Ghostface mixes it up a little bit for Kenny. And yeah. I mean, he was so into those Cheetos too. So R.I.P. Kenny. Those Cheetos. R.I.P. Cheetos. Yeah, and, slit and then hides him on like Ghostface hides him on top of the van, which is that's a feels like a feat. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, the Hannibal Art School. The part with the Sydney crawling through the van, like. That part also always creates again. Me out. That's yeah. the thing. I, when it comes to scenes that must have happened, I need like struggling to get Kenny up on the roof of that. Right. <laughs> I do want to see a version of this movie that's from the point of view of uh, Stu and Billy. Like I want, you know, I'm sure we have a lot of murder husbands out there. <laughs> you want to see the Lion King one and a half version of this movie? Yeah, I want to see the Lion, <laughs> the Scream one and a half, where it's like just <laughs> Billy, especially considering how. F- can't wait to live action live one and a half. <laughs> I can. It's gonna make but... a billion dollars. Maybe a screen I... five. Those flashbacks. Will... Yeah. So if they do the flashbacks, they gotta have like some sort of digital. Like I just want no. I just want to see. I don't care about screen five. I just want to see screen one and a half where the two of them are like dysfunctionally trying to figure this shit out with each other. And like Matthew Lord would be like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. and no, then Billy's like, no, oh, I I can't deal. Get down. With a digital CGI'd de-aged Matthew Lillard face. Billy, I put I him can. on top of the van. Why I, the fuck did you put him on top of the van? I don't know, man. It sounded cool. It's cool, you know, it's getting the blood all over the windshield. There's definitely a version of Scream from their perspective, but unfortunately it stars Seth Rogen and James Franco. Have any of you oh, seen no. Sky High? No. No. That's either either definitely a superhero movie, a stoner movie, or a Sky High. That's like a 2005 uh, Disney superhero movie. Yeah. I was going to make a joke about how Billy and Stu are like the villain couple of that movie. Um, Listen, you fucking. Just showing my age. (laughs) You fucking child. None of us were the right age. Twitter loves Sky High. 2005, if it wasn't Batman Begins and Casino Royale, I didn't give a fuck because I was an edgy ass 15 year old. Fuck. Oh my God. I was out of college. I was graduated. Wait. I was in Ireland. So. No. All of you, your homework is to go watch Sky High on Disney Plus. It's amazing. I I deny you. I deny you. (laughs) Fuck. Anyway, speaking of denial. Um, the huh, Randy and Stu. The, oh, 
No, so, really, the so, denial is that there's anything straight about Philly and Shep. Gil uh, and Dewey both run back to the house. Uh, Dewey gets stabbed, like comes out having been stabbed. Gail runs into the the truck or runs into the van and tries to take off uh, and finds Kenny dead and then crashes her van. Apparently, Dewey uh, died in the original cut of the movie, but then test scientists really liked him, so Wes Craven decided to let him live. Yeah, he was so cute. You can't. It's like he's he was the dog. He needed yeah. to live. He is. He is the fucking dog of this movie. You're right. Yeah. You can't kill the dog. And David Arquette as Sparky. Yeah. We talk about the scene with Sydney in the car and he's like that playing seems... with her. Yeah, that was he's... a really good, like that scene was actually legitimately scary. Yeah, he yeah. keeps oh, that doing the unlock and lock the car doors thing. And then like when you see that back hatch open up, I was just like, oh, this is so gross. Oh, shit. This is filmed so well. Yeah. Yeah, it, that was yeah. that. You're right. That was legitimately a terrifying moment. And you can tell yeah. it's Stu under there. The way he waves those kin stuff. Yeah. So. No. Whenever the the ghost face killer is being flamboyant, that's Stu. I think it's also it's definitely ghost face killer. I think we can agree that it's definitely Stu who drew very more punches in the face of a phone. I mean, Stu has a pretty awful relationship with getting hit with phones, which we'll see again yeah. shortly. You it's did. maybe the funniest <laughs> fucking thing in this movie. No. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, uh, Sydney runs back to the house and ends up getting in this sort of like, both Randy and Stu are there and they keep saying the other one is the one that's killing people. They have the whole like Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man thing going on. Um, <laughs> no, he's Every... the giant weird asshole that's killing people. Yeah, uh, the best choice, which is like, I don't know which one of them it is. So she closes the fucking door and locks them both out. She says, fuck you both. (laughs) Which is exactly the right call. Yeah, fuck them both. Then we get Billy. (laughs) There's so many like funny just falls in this. Billy just falling down those stairs. I laughed so hard when Billy fell down those stairs. He's like, like why billy is completely fine he's I was like well i still gotta sell this before i make my big murder reveal time to just give myself a fucking concussion down these stairs yeah uh oh my he God. falls that falls his way down the stairs and then goes and opens the door and lets randy in so that randy can give him he, i think he just lets randy in so that he can get the setup line from him which is randy says stew's gone mad and billy does I for all I hated this dude in the craft, this line reading of like we all go a little mad sometimes. <laughs> and like then specifically telling him that he's quoting psycho as he like goes yeah. full on evil in this scene. It's crazy. Yeah. And TJ, I think you'll agree how much hotter he gets the instant he drops that line. Oh like, t- well, and the instant that he owns up to being a serial killer, then you're like, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> I get it. Um, now. Yeah, so Neff Campbell has a gun he's a here. Creep. He's a freak. Yeah, he's a monster. Super, okay. a super freak, maybe. Yeah. Oh, but um. Well, this is also the point. Only, where only, I, only, I mean, with the night when the knife play gets involved. Murder boyfriends. Holy shit! When they are, I mean, do we want to talk about the scene where they are literally penetrating each other with knives? How can we I, not? I mean, we got it. This is the scene. Uh, this is the. This is. This is the pivotal scene in the film. Um, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot to unpack. And um, let me look at the time. Yeah, okay, we're going to unpack it all. I'll save all the things I have to say about feminism. We're pretty close to the okay. end. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, 
Um, the so uh, Nev Campbell has had a gun, and then um, Billy had the gun, and then shoot he shoot Randy, and then they go in the kitchen, and then uh, Stu and Billy are like, ha ha ha, we are evil and also gay, and then they um, they like unveil the plan and they pull uh, Sydney's dad out of a closet. Which yeah, the first Sydney. time I watched it, I was like, who is that? <laughs> oh yeah, right. Yeah. I figured it was the dad. And the dad's the real weak link of the cast. Like, who the fuck is he? Yeah. Yeah. But they, okay. like, we're, we're going to pin it on him. Uh, they, they unveil their whole master plan as if they were themselves supervillains. Um, yeah. Part of and, their, I mean, they clearly think they're supervillains. Yeah, part of and, their master plan is to, to stab each other. And they give each other directions on how to uh, penetrate each other. Don't go too deep. The level of the close, too deep. Like, also, at this point, when they're pointing the gun at Sydney, like they are cheek to cheek, yeah, like, they're, like they're all over each other. Matthew Lillard is like almost literally chewing on Skeet Ulrich's ear, like he's got his little, like he's <laughs> right there by his head. He's like, hoo, 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 what evil!" And then, um, oh, okay, just... hold on. I do want to talk about the fucking Skeet Ulrich's reveal and Matthew Lillard's reaction to it, which is like. They've done this whole thing about how like there's no motive and isn't it better that way? And then mm-hmm. Steelrick reveals that his real motive is that uh, we haven't really talked about the whole thing with her mom much, but there's this whole thing about, oh, her mom wasn't really raped by Cotton Weary. They were actually hooking up and maybe her mom has been hooking up with a lot of people. And it turns out that she is ho- had been hooking up with Billy's mom and been responsible for the breaking up of, of Billy's parents at least to billy's eyes uh, she was mom hooking up with his dad, dad. <laughs> i was gonna say yeah so, yes sorry she was hooking maybe up with his dad his mom? although maybe also his mom but i mean maybe both um, at once that's great oh man can we get the prequel where mrs nev campbell's mom is just like banging his parents <laughs> the, but the like scream three billy reveals <laughs> that after like their whole deal being that they don't have a reason to do this that they don't have a motive he reveals this in front of Stu, and matthew lillard's fucking reaction to this is amazing just yeah, boring boyfriend it's just like clearly, what yeah he's it's he clearly the acts, first time he's hearing this he's so well heartbroken by the fact that like to know that his murder boyfriend actually has a motive yeah yeah and also it's like, did did Billy refuse to tell him, or did Stu just never even think to ask why they're gonna kill people? Yeah, to me, it reads that like was his. Stu thought they were equals, but then he's like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm the pawn. Yeah, of course, Stu doesn't realize that he's ship. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 sensitive he and impressionable. It's an abusive relationship where they just abuse other people, but it turns out. Yeah. Oh no! Um, also, did anyone? I catch never thought the... the ghost would stab my face. <laughs> did anyone catch how uh, Stu presented the knife to Billy? It was no. like one of these where where they were like revealing their master plan, and uh, Stu like bows over like a vassal and presents the knife to Billy as Billy puts down the gun. I had never seen that before because it was always cut out by the. Uh, um, the pan and scan like edited for for not edited for content but edited to fit the screen mm. kind of shit yeah there was a lot of this movie that i did not see before because i was now watching it in high definition and on you know widescreen which was like whoa like it was a bit of a of a novelty there yeah my only problem with this part of the movie is that i'm 
from a logical point, I'm like, why did they start stabbing one another and like let her get away? It was like, why wouldn't you have made it a little bit more? Well, they yeah, let would... her get away while they're stabbing each other. It's the Gale walks in at that point with a gun that like but, distracts but still, them like, long why, enough. She's still alive. Like, why right. would stabbing yourself not be the very last part exactly. of the process? Like, I'm pretty they have sure. To show her just how fucking clever they are. <laughs> yeah, they want her to watch him penetrate still. Look how yeah. clever I am as I stab myself. I'm outsmarting you. Okay, so I this bit here is like now that I'm watching it again with like the gayness, I feel like there is some pent up tension between these gentlemen, and I'm not talking about like the know. sexual. T- Oh my god, what? No, I'm not just talking about the sexual tension, but like I'm also now that that uh Billy's like, oh yeah, I actually have a motive. And now they're mad at each other. And now they're like, you just kept fucking it up. And now that they're like actually, you know, um stabbing each other, and now they're like, you know, mad because they got hurt, you know, and they're they're teenage boys and they're like, ow, fuck you. No, you fuck you. And there's something about there's something toxically masculine about this. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be biting other podcasts to say toxic masculinity ruins the party again, but yeah, I feel like that's when everything started to to go south with them. Is that now that they're like they're you know they have this cockamamie plan to stab each other to make it more convincing that the dad did it, <laughs> you know, it just like comes to a head, so to speak. I'm really glad the movie doesn't end when Gale comes in to save the day but if it had i feel like it still would have been really satisfying because that that mo- her line where she's like the reporter comes to finds the gun and saves the day and sydney yeah. like, i like that movie although skeet ulrich's <laughs> skeet ulrich's line read of i know something you don't know is really like it's so good <laughs> yeah <laughs> but like Everything after this is my favorite fucking part of this movie. Yeah. I feel like we missed like, the part. Well, I I think like we really definitely need to talk about Sydney getting the ghost face mask herself, mm-hmm. disappearing into the house, calling them on a cell phone, and completely flipping the script on them. Yeah, the role that's reversal. Where, yeah, that's where like all of the misogynistic bullshit in the beginning is like you know you really now you're like you have a vendetta against them against like the tropes you're just like fuck this and so is she and it's so cool because she like also you know she is in charge even though she's like she is a victim she's a final girl and she's been through all this shit she like throughout the movie she's like pretty on top of it i don't want to see it in every horror movie but when they do it, I'm such a fan of the act three. Now, like the shoes on the other foot, like role reversal catharsis. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we saw it, the victims. Like, like, uh, ready or not, I thought did a pretty, did a really good job with that too. Yes. Yeah. And like alien, well, it's aliens, just more of an action yeah. movie. I, I love how the first part just turns into fucking diehard at the end. <laughs> I love the first, like the two reactions of, of the two characters to this which is like that fucking uh, Billy is like, I'm going to fucking find her and I'm going to fucking kill her. And meanwhile, his boyfriend is bleeding out. I think I'm yeah. dying here. Me too deep. I think oh. I'm dying. Have we gotten to the part where it's like, you threw a phone at me. <laughs> yeah, he gets the call from Sydney and is so pissed off about it that he throws the phone at fucking <laughs> Stu. And Stu says, you hit me with a phone. I like when Sydney says, so hurt. Do you and then he starts Stu, talking to Sydney. Motive? 
And then he starts I'm talking like, to Cindy on the phone. And he's like, Sid, did you really call the police? My mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. Yeah, le- he's what so a, pathetic. What a legendary line. And what an incredible meaning so of that. Yeah, Matthew Lillard is absolutely... Both Matthew Lillard and um, fucking Skeet Ulrich are killing it in like these last 10 minutes. They're like, they're perfect after the twist. Like they're so good. I have to say this about the Matthew Lillard role about his performance is that it is, it also deconstructs the serial killer monster, you know? And this is something that is not really what the movie's about, but it's also like this crazy killer is just this sad kid, you know? is the you know he is a monster but like um he's he's you know sociopath whatever um term you have for it there's something very uniquely suburban uh it's suburban horror about that concept of look at all these normal people in our suburban society dedicated to normalness and an absolute monster can be like hiding behind that normalness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, you see it in Twin Peaks, you see it in uh, JoJo's Part Four: Diamond is Unbreakable, and you see it here in Scream. And I think it's just a defined. Yes, I'm mentioning just, JoJo just again. Throw the JoJo you know in they... there, like yeah. That's... Look, it's a great example of this particular example of suburban horror of monster hiding within sub like suburb like suburban cultures thirst for normalcy yeah and but also it's it it says something about the serial killer being yes monstrous but they're so out of touch with reality that they're essentially playing this role and then they become that role you know there's something about serial killer psychology there where they just are so convinced that they're something else that you know they can get away with all this shit and they have the entitlement to get away with all this shit and once that shit is stripped back and once that they they lose their streak or whatever they're just so fucking they're just they have a a fit you know like a like a spoiled child and so having matthew lillard being like my mom and dad are gonna be so bad like it's i he's pathetic i feel like yeah. yeah i feel like billy had this whole like ideology behind the whole horror movie aspect and Matthew and Stu was just like I like Friday the 13th I'm gonna be like Jason he just wants to believe Billy yeah yeah and he also like I mean and he also was fucking you know a killer and toxic and shit you know in his own right I mean it's clear that like the very first kill Drew Barrymore that probably wasn't Billy's idea that was probably clearly Stu like wanting revenge against like uh, the woman who dumped him. Yeah. Like, that was his own, like that was an absolutely toxic, misogynistic, violent feelings of ownership and violence that seemed to be very much comes from Stu. Like Stu was the one who would be motivated to do that. Um, And I do want to make the, make the distinction here that, you know, the fan canon of them being gay and then like Stu's toxicity and, and, you know, uh misogyny is very separate you know these are two different mm-hmm. subjects that we're talking about because there's a lot of actual real toxic tropes and um with modes of thinking especially with like serial killers like jeffrey dahmer and stuff like that that it, back in the day especially during the aids uh pandemic um that really really hurt 
uh, LGBT community because these, you know, these killers also were like, quote unquote, deviants, you know, yeah, this like, is not. Yeah. So I, I want to make that yeah. perfectly clear here. Yeah, um, Stu and Matthew Lillard are super fun and the character is so much fun and so many great iconic lines, but they are still a horrible, like, ab- like toxic, misogynistic monster of a murderer. Yeah, right. I mean, they're the the characters themselves we have fun with, but you know, the the actual psychology has nothing to do with the, the homosexuality yeah. <laughs> we're projecting. Char- right. Being a good character does not mean you're a good human, and in oh. most and in, and in a lot of cases, they are ex- mutually exclusive. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, to so, me, like, they. I don't think they're gay. Like they're bi, maybe some sort yeah. of. But like, if someone were to ask me, like, "Oh, do you think like they were really fucking?" No, that is not like no. They just weren't. But do I think Kevin Williamson probably purposefully put that subtext in there? I think there's a good chance. A hundred percent agreed. Yeah, totally. And some people have a problem with the pansy ass mama's boy line, but I love it. That's one of my favorite lines in the whole movie. I think that that. I mean, in terms of context, I don't. I think that that is you know it's okay because she doesn't she doesn't call him an f-bomb it's also you know? like, right. he has put her through so much it's like she can say whatever the fuck she wants to him at right. this point also yeah. this was 1996 yeah yeah it was look um, man we made it through this whole movie i think without a single mention of like use of the r word which by 1996 high school horror standard seems like a goddamn miracle i don't think anybody said that in yeah. this whole movie yeah, this movie is is uh, yeah, half thankfully the early two thousand movies we will we've watched will have that. Um, yeah, it doesn't okay. They're just uh, white. They they are all white. Um, yeah. so yeah, so they're on the phone. Uh, Neff Campbell's on the phone with um Stu, and Stu and, and she's asking Stu like, "Well, what's your motive?" And he's like, "Peer pressure. I'm very sensitive. <laughs> it's the whole part of this." <laughs> Yeah. Um, I really love the like setup here with uh, Billy, who is watching Halloween as he's looking for her, and watches Michael open the closet to find Jamie Lee Curtis, and he opens the closet, and uh, out she comes and stabs him multiple times with an umbrella. Um, yeah. She goes real hard. On this she goes. Part. She is decisive. Penguin. She goes full penguin on him. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> go to heaven uh yeah and then Stu tries to Stu tries to come help out uh is quickly tripped up and then killed with a horror movie which is really really fucking yeah. fantastic or is he on his head. i mean ending scary movie five he gets i mean he gets a cathode ray tube to the face i don't know yeah. if you can really walk away yeah. from that but i don't know some people d- survive shot in the head. Yeah, they do a whole uh, shocked special, or, you know, shaking effect here, um, which which pretty pretty hard sells it. Um, and uh, Gail comes back with the gun. Uh, this time has turned the safety off and goes ahead and shoots Billy. Uh, we find out that Randy is still alive. He says he's never been so glad to be a virgin in his life. <laughs> and this is, uh, he does mention that this is the part where the killer comes back for one more scare and uh, Stu tries to pull it off, at which point... Uh, yeah, Billy uh, tries to pull it off. Uh, yeah, sorry, Billy tries to pull it off, yeah. 
and uh, Sydney shoots him right in the face and says, not in my yeah. movie. I love that both her and I, Gail uh, both get to kill him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Sydney gets to kill I, both of them, and Gail also gets that's, to kill. It does feel important that Sydney gets to deliver the final blow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then it's sort of a fade out. You know, the cops are now there, and Dewey's alive, and um, I mean, he's in a gurney, and he's going into a, a um, ambulance, but he's alive, and uh, Gail is, you know, all scratched up and shit, but she's doing her um her news report and it pans over the beautiful vistas of moran county um <laughs> and uh we get a we get the uh whisper to a scream song which is definitely not kiss them for me by Susie sue D- listen to them both back to back you'll see what uh, i did also want to mention I, I tagged this at the end of this list here that this had a five-page treatment for scream 2 at the end of the screenplay by kevin williamson um which is what they later turned into the full script for the movie um, which like is so clear as you're watching the movie that he is already thinking about the sequel and thinking mm-hmm. about what it means to have a horror sequel, planting things like having fucking Cotton Weary in this for half of a second so that they can like bring Leah Shriver back in the next movie. Um, yeah, I am I am in awe of uh, of Kevin Williamson in watching this movie. He's kind of an unappreciated titan of the inter- of like pop culture. Yeah, yeah, like between Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer, he like reinvented the slasher genre in the 90s. And fucking yeah. Dawson's Creek, man. Like, yeah. he created Dawson's Creek. And like that, that, the thing, Creek. that thing went the a long stretch of time and had That's a lot that. of influence on, on the world around us. Absolutely. At um, the, roughly the same time this stuff was happening shortly thereafter. Teaching Miss Tingle, not so much. Um, <laughs> but they can't all be winners unfortunately yeah. that's the one he directed so look if you have a good enough career that lasts long enough there's gonna be a stinker or two on there so this movie is technically over now but there's one thing that i wanted to, to mention that i didn't get to mention at the time because i forgot okay there's a point in the background where uh rose mcgowan and david arquette have a literal slap fight and that's the other scream one and a half that i want to see is just a story about them before they both go out just like their fucking childhood. <laughs> just like. Give me like, if not a movie, give me like a young adult novel, like from the different yeah. perspectives happening during the movie. Or not even like a horror movie. Just like those two characters. <laughs> right. Trying to like get through life. Like, it it's like a slice of, before the scream. Yeah. Like a slice of life manga with Dewey, Dwight, AKA Dewey and uh, uh, Tatum. Um, but like re- retell it so she doesn't die at a fucking garage door because <laughs> he deserves better. I mean, a screen five coming out next January. Pitch some yeah. tie-in materials. I would, I would yes. die if, in some point in Scream Five, they were just like, "No, of course she's not dead. How do you think somebody would be crushed by a garage door? That doesn't even make sense." Right. <laughs> well, there is that. She fun just day. went limp. There- to bring up Scary Movie again, one of my favorite running gags is they kill off Regina Hall in every movie and then she just shows up again in the sequel with no That's explanation. That's brilliant. Oh, yeah. Real, real Kenny situation. God. Speaking of, I did yell, they killed Kenny at one point in this movie. You bastards. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. So. South Park happened. That's, yes. Still happening, I guess. Um, so that's a wrap for that one. Uh what would you guys let's talk a little bit about the uh the politics of this movie easiest one race 
uh, doesn't fucking exist in this movie. Yeah. All the, well, I will say that the, the, um, the black reporter, she's the least shitty reporter. She's the one who uh, assaults, verbally assaults Nev Campbell the least. So <laughs> at least there's that. She's obviously came in from like San Francisco or something <laughs> or like Marin County being like, ooh, not that Marin County has yeah, this, uh, any this sort is... of diversity. An aggressively white suburb. Yeah. But, you know, a suburb. Yeah. I mean, it's Santa Rosa. I think we I get mean, two black characters in the next movie. Wow. Woo! <laughs> well, again, which is exactly what happened. I seem I to remember one of them suburb. dies in like the first five minutes of the movie. Oh, Christ. He leaves and then the black girl dies like halfway. Through. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Spoilers. Sorry. So, okay. Oh, so, really nothing about race. No. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it it's a it's a failure in that respect. I mean, probably not wholly inaccurate to the place it's taking place, but no real attempt to do anything. I lied. I'm sorry. There's four black characters in the movie, and the two of that's... them do die right at the beginning. Okay. Yeah, that's like saying like stab through a bathroom stall door in the beginning of that movie. That's yes. like saying it chapter two has queer representation because a gay couple gets horribly murdered in the first ten minutes. I will defend it chapter two. That's will you defend? Oh, will you defend not. its queer representation? Yes. <laughs> okay. I actually, I'd rather you didn't defend it chapter two. <laughs> I'm a defender. I will have to do that one time. It's a whole thing. All right, Iron Fist, calm down. <laughs> I'm so I'm sorry for that. You just set up the defender line like so much. I had to do something with it. Yeah, talk to the screen, Bren. Bren, talk to the screen, Ben. Uh, I don't <laughs> want to. It freaks me the fuck out. Uh, this movie also doesn't deal with class in any way, which it very well could, because like there's always you know a, a poorer segment of middle class suburbs, uh, but yeah. it's not in this movie. They don't they don't bother. Um, you could in, very in fact, easily they, have Stu be the, you know, poor kid who's seeking acceptance and gets pulled into this partly, partly because of that, but they don't. Interestingly enough, the, uh, the quote unquote lower class part of uh, Santa Rosa is known as the South Park. Hmm. Maybe that's um, where Kenny's from. I'm looking uh, where Kenny came Santa from. Rosa. I mean. Um, <laughs> uh, the mental health and disability portion of this is... I don't know. It's it's dicey. It's real real sci-fi mental health here. Like, you know, um lots of lots of sort of fake petty psychology in here. Um yeah. and not not a whole lot to say. There is there is the the way that they deal specifically with uh with Sydney's uh trauma and the recognition that like that's normal and she should be able to deal with her trauma. Uh, that the movie provides, which is not maybe the most common thing at this point in horror movies. Yeah, that's true. I mean, mm-hmm. like, also the fact that Billy is recognizably a monster for telling her to to fucking get over it. Um, you know, that it's very good at telling us what not to do um, in in reacting to horror and trauma. Or or when, not to say reacting, but um, when confronting, I'm comforting somebody, you know, one thing I am so glad about in that scene where Billy's like, fucking just get over me murdering your mom. What's the big deal? Is God. it is not a something Sydney just takes. She pushes back on that strenuously and immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And then when they're walking through Pacific Market, they also talk about it where Rose McGowan's like, look, you've been through all this shit. 
he doesn't, you know, he doesn't deserve you. Like he doesn't, you know, he can keep his dick in his pants as far. Like she says something like, you know, it, even though Nev Campbell's kind of like, oh, um, you know, I mean, not, not unreasonable for her to be like, I mean, did I do the right thing um, by getting him arrested? And, you know, he keeps pressuring me to have sex and all this kind of stuff. Should I have sex? And Rose Beyond's like, no, girl, do you do you. Um, and that's not always. We all needed like, Tatum in our lives. Yeah, yeah. Tatum is aggressively supportive of, uh, of Nev Campbell's decisions, you know, despite the fact that she's not, quote unquote, putting out. I forgot um, one of the girls in the bathroom calls him bubble butt Billy. I forgot that. Oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. This, you know, a term that is, wow, look at this. Totally bubble strange. butt boyfriend, bubble butt boyfriend Billy is actually. Look, everyone, look at Scream, the totally straight and not at any way gay movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's get into that then. Uh, the well, LGBT representation in this movie. Where where are we at? I don't know. I just feel like I, I'm not sure if bubble butt is inherently a queer term, but I feel like the male gaze is so prevalent that it feels like any sexualized, like true, like sexualization of like the male form almost feels inherently queer at this point, just because that straight cis male gaze is just so fucking on the. Yeah, I think, I think the script just, like, reads, like, a queer text. Yeah, it's like how, you know, there's something kind of inherently queer feeling about um, <laughs> Hellraiser and E.B. with, uh, yeah, I, I'm forgetting the villain's name, but, Frank. but yeah, Frank. yeah, Frank, how, okay, we only see him with a woman, but the movie's sexualization of him just feels so outside the norm that it's still queer. Yeah, I feel like we have a, a fairly neutral gaze in this movie because I definitely think, you know, there is a little bit of uh, cheap horror sexualization of Tatum, but also mm -hmm. I think Skeet that applies Ulrich to Billy licking, as well. Skeet Ulrich licking fake blood off his fingertips. Also, the way that Matthew Lillard, uh, the way that Stu's character is so touchy, you know, like he's it's 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 very um friendly and it's very like comfortable with that um you know other movies might not have that and and it's not part of his like crazy persona it's just like he's a cool goofball kind of guy um and you know seeing matthew lillard in other movies he's so friendly that you know he managed that's like you can see that that's part of his sort of like i'm just like any friendly guy persona you know and he's also not doing that kind of thing with anybody but his girlfriend and his dude friends i'll try anything once <laughs> yeah <laughs> so like are there any canonical uh lgbtqia characters in this movie not that we're aware you know not explicitly i should say um no. but there is a you know there's the neutral gaze there's um some considerations uh in the script that as yeah. you all said it's um you gotta watch out for them neutral gaze. They're, you never know which way they're gonna go. They're, these, I feel like Stewie and and Stewie, Stu and Stewie. Billy are, are very like Disney villain levels of gay. Like they could start yeah. seeing, be prepared and marching any minute now. <laughs> Billy yeah, and like, Stu, oh, sensational news. Billy and Stu feel like they should be the henchmen for Emma Stone's Cruella Deville. <laughs> oh God. Oh, no. Um. 
Now, I guess here's the real question. Is Scream feminist? Yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, I um, feel like the most existentially terrifying parts of the movie are about like the theme of violent misogyny. And I feel like Sydney is just such a great protagonist to like- I think Sydney and Gail. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that Gail survives the movie says a lot because she is not, she is presented as not likable. Sid is, Sid is the the quote unquote victim and she displays so much more uh, agency just in like reacting to the killers you know like the fact that she actually kicks the 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 killer off of her like you have that direct um juxtaposition of drew barrymore who you know does uh being the killer in the nuts and hit him with the phone and all that kind of stuff um but she does not like repeatedly kick and roll and you know manage to to um avoid the killer and she also um she kills at the end you know and that whole setup with like you know, a woman couldn't kill, a woman couldn't do this, blah, 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 blah. And then at the end, she stabs Billy multiple times with the umbrella and shoots him in the head. Like, she is, uh, and she does it coldly. Like, yeah. she's badass. Like, she's fucking stone cold badass when she does that. She's not like, you know, it's it's because you have a lot of final girls that are like screaming and shooting the gun and all that kind of stuff that are screaming and getting away, jumping on trucks. And then, you know, you see them defiantly survive, but you don't see a lot of final girls, especially in like movies that predate Scream that, you know, where the Scream is referring to where the final girl kills the shit twice. She like, puts her- on the mask. She calls them. This is a premeditated counterattack. Yeah, she's she's <laughs> flipping the script um very explicitly. I mean, looking and, at Halloween, there's there's several points in that in those films specifically where Jamie Lee Curtis almost or sort of kills uh Michael Myers, but like it's always like she runs until she can't run no more and then maybe finds a way to, you know, finally she blows up a whole freaking hospital in the second one just to you know, yeah. to kill him. Um, and, like you know, that, Sydney he, he takes, walks away at the end of the first one. I like that Sydney takes the symbol of what has been terrorizing her and then uses it to empower her at the end. Yeah, I think that's really great. That, that was she a also, great element. She has sex and survives. She chooses to have sex. She's the one who says, "Okay, now." And then um, that's when it finally happens. Um, Let's be real though. If Sydney didn't have sex issues before this, like night, oh boy, is after tonight. Yeah, she has out. some trust issues. Yeah. Well, I mean, those indigo girls will lead the way. <laughs> but True. really, if they ever kill Sydney, like in Scream Five, if that comes out and they kill Sydney, you will find me re- <laughs> a hashtag <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> You're kind of recasting everything. I feel like. <laughs> Again, we said like Scream is unique in being a protagonist driven yeah. franchise. Like it feel like it feel as wrong as Evil Dead actually killing off Ash Williams. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like at this point it almost feels like Sydney almost even knows like I'm over this. Like you're going to fail. I've done this so many times. And like I guess that could be a tiring thing to keep feeding into every movie, but it's if you kill her, it's like, what's the... Yeah, well, it's like the Alien series. I feel like the only way to kill her 
is to ever do a movie where it's like she's Ghostface. No, yeah. I think that too. I'm well, just, I yeah, mean, that's also her, but like she look, would have to. I'm pretty big that I believe that Scream Six should be into the Screamiverse, where <laughs> we get the mo- Scream Multiverse to allow all of the ghost faces to like team to return. I would want to find a ghost face that's actually Sydney. Yeah, yeah, and I think you're. I I'm getting this sense that you're really into multiverses. <laughs> I just think think? it's really cool when comic books predict actual, like, quantum physics. Ben, I keep telling you to write me fanfics. Write me that fanfic. I will read it. Will Scary Movie be part of that universe? Oh, it has to be, like, right? Like, I feel like that has to be, like, when the actual Spider-Verse comic introduced Hostess Fruit fruit Pie advertisement Spider-Man as a canon (laughs) character. (laughs) Okay, so, all that said, do we think this movie is worth seeing? Do you guys recommend it? Oh yes, my god, absolutely. yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. It's a fucking, I, again, I just saw it a few days ago. It's an iconic film. It's my oh, favorite yeah. scary movie. Think, I do think it's better if you've seen everything it's referring to. Like, if you've seen Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th and all of these other things, uh, I, I think it makes the movie better. But like I any, don't know that that's yeah. necessary. I mean, like, it's like anything that relies on its meta-ness. It's benefited if you are able to engage the movie with the conversation it's having with the genre. Yeah, it's just like WandaVision. And if you've seen 70 years of sitcoms. Um, <clears throat> so uh, anyway, um, all that said, what do we have to recommend for people who enjoyed this movie? TJ, what do you have? We've mentioned it a few, well, besides Scream 2, 3, and 4, and we've mentioned Ready or Not. I can't remember if I suggested this last time I was on, but it is extremely relevant right now because the directors of that are directing Scream 5. Oh, yeah. oh that's nice. fun. Yeah, I feel like Ready or Not just has a lot of the same energy and, you know, it makes, I, I was very worried that if they ever did a Scream 5 without Wes Craven, but I feel like it has the potential to be really good with them. Yeah. yeah. And if, if people want to watch Ready or Not, we've already done an episode on that with Justina Ireland. So absolutely check that out as well, because that movie's great. Um, Emily, what do you have to recommend? Um, I have a list. Oh but, boy, this uh, list. <laughs> the list. The list. Okay, so um, if you like Neff Campbell and Skeet Ulrich, watch The Craft. Um, this is it's also very, very... Maybe not very, very, Maybe not, but he's in it. He's part of it, um, but uh, that that movie is just soundtrack-wise, um, also very iconic, 90s-wise, again, um, not as profound, uh, but stylistically, definitely there. Um, if you want a the, the comedy version of this movie, watch Clueless, which is actually referenced in this movie as if um yep. clueless is is another very important quintessential 90s movie it's, it's um, very directly referenced because Rain, uh, uh Stu says as if and randy says all right alicia yeah and so um that's great yeah alicia especially because as if is one of those things that is that like entered the parlance it, it's so common that i feel like people don't even remember that it's feet quote so for yeah. that quote to have been so new that it's still directly associated with Alicia Silverstone. I also think that Clueless is another interesting, a really, really interesting sort of meta commentary. <laughs> um, 
in this case of Jane Eyre, which is interesting. And, uh, you know, aside from all of the horror movies that are referenced in this movie, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Millennium and the X-Files are also very, very good 90s uh, contexts for horror. Um, you know, TV 90s kind of um, that sort of, you know, serial killer monster of the week kind of thing. And if you like Matthew Lillard, I would recommend Hackers. Um that another very very early 90s movie um so, oh so iconic and then very good soundtrack as well and slc punk which is probably one of matthew lillard's best performances and a really really great albeit sad movie um about punks in salt lake city in the 80s i think i might have seen slc punk something like 20 times within the four years i was in college oh so. yeah it's it is the college movie it's very good uh yeah like you said um yeah uh ben what do you have so i talked about scary movie a whole bunch this uh uh podcast but uh if i'm and i'm gonna recommend something from that but my personal favorite of the scary movie franchise is actually scary move three which combined uh signs and the ring and was featured the galaxy brain casting of charlie sheen as satire mel gibson and in turn, it has the surprising behind the scenes talent of directed by David Zucker, who did Airplane and the Naked Gun. And I kid you not, written by creator of <laughs> Chernobyl, Craig Mazin. What? Yeah. Wait. Chernobyl and Scary Movie 3, written by the same guy. Like the- Yeah, chew on that. HBO series? Yes. What? Yeah, that's real. His dude's got range. So, I have a couple things I want to recommend. Um, Wes Craven, unfortunately, died in 2015. Um, But his late movies, post-Scream, he just went weirder and weirder and weirder. And I love those movies. Um, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which is the last real Nightmare on Elm Street, um, is weird meta shit where, like, they're making a new Nightmare on Elm Street movie and it's causing Freddy to come into the real world. And it's really fantastic in a lot of the same way Scream is because it's recognizing and playing with the horror tropes. Um, also, um, two of his, his later movies, Red Eye, um, which is a fantastic movie about a you know woman who gets stuck on a train or a plane next to a guy who's trying to uh, convince her to help murder some people. Um, it's really fantastic. Uh, it's got Killian Murphy in it being... Just creepy as hell. And Cursed, which is a weird fucking werewolf movie um, with lots of like just really out of place uh, meta humor jokes and all kinds of of weird shit in there. I I definitely think that's a movie we need to talk about on here at some point because it's real fucking weird. I I love all of those. People should definitely check those out. Um, Another one that I'd recommend thematically to go with this movie that uh, I was definitely thinking of quite a bit when we were talking about um, Stu and... uh, Billy, but, but largely Stu, is um, recently I watched Better Watch Out, um, which is another suburban horror movie uh, that is has a twist in it, which I am really hesitant to give away, but is is incredible in the weird horror movie that it is and how, how heavily it plays with um, horror movie stuff to set things up for you and is... In its own way, I, I, I like to say it's it's kind of like what if Home Alone was a horror movie, um, 
which is, I mean, sounds amazing. The movie is very good. Uh, I definitely which one? recommend it. Hmm? What's it called? Better Watch Better Out. Watch Out. Okay. That's always how I talk about your next. I don't know if you've seen that one. I love your next. I always say that's like home alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and your next has a, I think has a great like female protagonist that follows in the footsteps of, of Sydney here. Um, it's definitely one people should check out as well. Um, yeah, but those are, those are my recommendations for this one. So definitely go check those out. I think we've given people plenty of stuff to, to go look up. Um, before we the show, I haven't seen the Scream TV show. Is it good? It's not good. No. Uh, no, There's no. T- two seasons, they're awful. And then there was a third season that, that was like a reboot called Scream Resurrection. And it's all about like exploring black stereotypes and horror, which like could have been really good, but it wasn't. Hmm. Yeah, all I know about the Scream franchise is that one of the like main recurring characters in the TV show is non-binary, or at least the actor is. Um, yeah, I think they played a... I think she was bi on the show. Um, she being the character. Um, yeah, not good, not good. Instead of doing Scream 5 and 6 10 years ago, that's what they did instead. Oh, no. You know, MTV. Um, yeah. Oh, it was right. Bex Taylor Claus who was in it. Yeah. Yeah. They're awesome. Yeah. Uh, so with all that said, let's let people know where they can find us online. Uh, TJ, where can people find you and, and your work online? You can find me at TroyFin2 on Twitter, where I talk about all things book-related. You can also find me on Gotham Outsiders. That is also our Twitter handle, uh, where we talk about Batman through a feminist and queer lens. And yeah, I thought that was it. All right. And Emily, where can people find you online? Um, I'm Mega Moth on Twitter. Um, I am Mega underscore Moth on Instagram. And Megamoth on Patreon um, and uh, on Tumblr and various other places. Um, Megamoth.net on the internet. I have art. I do the art. Um, working on Princess Volume 10. It's going to be awesome. Um, and uh, yeah. And then also we have uh, Progressively Horrified on Twitter, um, which you can find through my Twitter because what I, uh, I like to talk about. And tell us about Progressively Horrified on Twitter, Jeremy. I'm going to let Ben talk about uh, where people can oh, find yeah. Ben online first. My bad. Yes. Tell us so about that. You can find me uh, on Twitter at, at BenTheCon, my website at BenConComics.com. Upcoming graphic novels, uh, Renegade Rule, a sports action comedy, is coming out this May. And I'm happy to announce that the graphic novel tie-in, Bishop's Immortals Phoenix Rising uh, will be coming out this September. Uh, it is my first work for hire uh, franchise comic. So Woo! check that out. This week. Woo. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. nice. Pre-order you. now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome58. It's J-R-O-M-E-5-8. And I'm at jeremywhitley.com. Uh, I'm sure you can order pre-order things that I'm, I'm working on right now. I know School for Extraterrestrial Girls book two is coming out this summer and that is available out there for pre-order on Amazon and fine bookstores like that, uh, as well as uh, Marvel Action Chillers is all wrapped up now. So the single issues are out if you want to go track them down or on Comixology. And they're and so good. Coming out soon. Thank you. It was a lot of fun to write. It was a you know, nice, scary Halloween story that finally finished in February. Uh, not as not didn't come out as quick as we had anticipated but uh 
As for the podcast, Progressively Horrified, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Progressively Horrified. If you wouldn't mind going there and then supporting us just a couple of bucks uh, to help us make this great content you're enjoying right now, we would so appreciate that. On Twitter, we are Prog Horror Pod, as in Progressive Horror Podcast. Uh, we would love for you to follow us there. Our website is progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm. If you're looking for a good place to subscribe to stuff, they have all the links there. We're on Google, we're on Stitcher, we're on Spotify, uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, anything you can possibly think to download podcasts from, and a few you probably haven't heard of. There, All the links are right there. Um, and please, if, you, if you're not already subscribed, please subscribe. Please uh, rate the podcast so that other people can find it and give us some great reviews, all the stars you can possibly manage to hand over. We would appreciate that. I do want to thank TJ so much for coming on and, and enjoying Scream with us again. Uh, we'd love to have you back anytime, TJ. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If you ever want to talk about any of the sequels, like leading up to the new movie, I just beep me. I'll be there. <laughs> we'll beep you. Yeah. If the apocalypse comes, beep me. Sounds that's, my, good. that's my Buffy reference. Get ready to ex- <laughs> expect a beep in the imminent future. Okay, cool. I also love I'll Saw. So the Saw franchise is my guilty pleasure. I'm uh, I'm dreading the day we head into we inevitably wade into the territory of 2000s torture porn. I love Saw. <laughs> yeah, I'm don't gonna... get me wrong. I'm down for Donnie Wahlberg dying over and over again. <laughs> ben said they're like I I have the appeal of seeing him die, and I was like, don't worry, he dies like five times. Nice. I'm like, go on, like maybe this franchise has something for me after all. <laughs> And Ben and Emily, thank you so much for joining me again. Um, of course. Thank, and thank you, Jeremy. You, Love you. Love to be here. Thank you. Me too. And uh, thank you so much to all of you for listening. We love you. And we're so happy that you're here. And we will see you again next week. Progressively Horrified is created and produced by Jeremy Whitley. This episode featured Jeremy Whitley, Ben Kahn, Emily Martin, and TJ Finnessy. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and not intended to represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent any of the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. Support us on Patreon or contact us on Twitter at Prague Horror Pod or by email at progressively horrified at gmail.com. <laughs>